Howdy there, folks, and welcome to the Black Pants Legion podcast. My guest today is none other than one of the most infamous voice actors that I know, the best voice actor that I know. Uh, all the other voice actors out there are probably going to start screeching and screaming, but I'm going to explain why. The man has been in the seventh guest VR. Nick and Nia, Multiverse Heroes, Volunteer the Ascension, Foolish Mortals, System Shock, Hired Steel, My Amazing Woman, Evil West, Dying Light 1 and 2, Red Light, After the Fall, The Wellspurt Twins, The Pursuit of Orlinia Audiobook, Empire of Sin, Mech Warrior 5 Mercenaries, Mech Warrior 4 Mercenaries, God's Trigger, Antihero, Sniper Ghost Warrior 3... Warlock 2, The Exalted, Warface, MechWarrior Online, Eleven, Netherworld, Playboy the Mansion. I did not know that prior to this. Uh, Eleven, Netherworld, Beyond Time I Stand, uh, Freedom Force versus the Third Reich, Thief, Deadly Shadows, Neverwinter Nights, and many more things. But most humbly, in my own neck of the woods, in my own small production, you have given your voice to a lot of things. Welcome, George Ledoux. Thank you. Wow, what an introduction. And boy, now you have to live up to it. <laughs> I could I could use you at convention appearances. What have you done? <laughs> what what have you done? I'd be like, first of all, my my first running into you was um believe it or not, I was playing Neverwinter Nights back in the day. And in those voice packs, you can choose which voice your hero has. And you oh, were yeah. like I think you were um Let's see if you get it right. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I have to get it right. I have to get it right, because I've played <laughs> oceans of Neverwinter Nights. I think you're like male neutral warrior. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Thank and it God was like, for the internet. Yeah, it was it was like, <laughs> show me your steel. Attack. It and was I tell so... you, I do that at a, at a if at a convention when I've been on a panel and I show me your steel, attack! And everyone's yeah. like, oh, that yeah. guy! Yeah, people <laughs> remember that. Well, because um, there's so many people pick that voice pack because it's so yeah. neutral. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's so many of those voice packs. Um, a lot of the voices, it's like you're playing, you have to be a, a character from D&D. Right. And so people do these way over the top, you know, like hammy, like, I am Abragos the wizard. And well, of I course, am, dude, know, when you know. that came out, that's what that's what they were shooting at. It wasn't that's a long time ago, if you think about that, when that game came out. And I remember recording that stuff in a studio in Boston because at that that time I didn't even have a studio. And you know, it was all much more hammy, as you say. We don't call it that in acting. Uh, no, <laughs> we call it the method or whatever you call it. Yeah, no, yeah. it's it, a lot of people call it Amy. <laughs> I uh, I call it my own style. <laughs> That's what I call it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it, but anyway, it was it was just that kind of thing, and it was like that's how I got the the gig because, you know, I could get in there and just instantly go over the top. Whereas a lot of those sessions, you start out low. Yeah. But as I always tell actors when I'm doing, you know, direction or or doing a workshop or whatever, I said, always start big. Start big, as they say, because it's better to start big because it's easier to make an actor get less uh, hammy than than to make them keep increasing that level of in your face. I'm, you know, I'm Vincent Price eating up the scenery kind of acting because it's harder to, to get there. 
I agree. I I mean, it, it's kind of weird for me to say this, but uh, some of the people who've been long listeners here know that like, I've been essentially voice acting every time I hit record. This is not my native accent. And it's, well, that's because, you know, if I was like, the periphery came down upon the, you know, I mean, people, <laughs> people not associate that with, with a learned professor. So I have to adopt a very neutral accent. And yeah, but then you'd remind me of like the NASA, the NASA <laughs> scientists who always come in there and say, like, yeah, we sent up that, that, that asteroid catcher and boy, we got some good shit. And he'd come right yeah. down, he'd land right in the desert just where we wanted him to. Bye. Exactly. <laughs> and that's, that's the thing is that I, I, I found that when you have a southern accent and it's pronounced, people start looking at you like you're crazy. Even if you're saying really sane things, you start sounding like you're narrating a Wild West adventure. Sure. You know? Well, that's that's just media. I mean, that's not not now it's called media. But the in media. my in my youth, it was just basically movies. You know, yeah. every time you wanted someone to sound intelligent and smart you give them an english accent or one of oh, those yes. mid mid-atlantic ones you know like Cary grant had or or if you wanted them to sound like a yokel you made them sound southern and i remember and it's just oh back in the day in your head. if you wanted to deliver information over the radio it was that transatlantic accent mm -hmm. where you know they're like all right boys here we go you know and it just sure. very yeah and i it's fun because you go back and listen to radio plays you go back and listen to old radio and you find yeah. out there, every era had a packaged accent that you tried mm -hmm. to adopt, and it became the accent. So it's yeah, kind of it's kind of weird to see nowadays where a lot of people are throwing wild shit out there and seeing what sticks. Yeah, that's that's a lot of times what you get as an actor uh, when you get an audition, you know, come through, and you can tell that the producers of that whatever product that is the, the advertisement they don't know what they want you can tell because they're just like we want people who are good at comedy and improv so instantly my the red flag in my head goes up it's like oh they mean they don't know they can't write for shit and they yeah <laughs> and they, no, want, you're they not, want the actor to do it <laughs> well you're not you're not wrong um i've i've read a lot of scripts i've written a lot of scripts and it's when the words are flat on a page yep. it's very hard to say this is funny or this isn't and then that's why I, <laughs> I remember, perhaps we should tell this story so people know. It's how I first contacted you. Okay. Um, I had, I had just, I had just replayed MechWarrior 4 Mercenaries. Mm -hmm. So many voices in that game were pretty good, which was kind of rare for games of that era. It's, it's hard to remember voice actors. They were trying. I, I remember that. Yeah, they, the, the attempts were made, as they yeah. say these days. Yeah. <laughs> then but, they brought me in. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> what was great? We need you to do every other voice that we don't have an actor for today. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the Bethesda method. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I I remember going, this guy has to still be out there. This this guy does a million into one voices. He's like a modern Mel Blanc. This guy has to be out there. And so I found I found your website mm -hmm. and it was like contact phone number. And I said, Oh, oh yeah. this guy's this guy's old school. So I called him and I was like, Hey, uh is this is this George Ledoux? And you were like, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, why? And I was like, "Is this George?" <laughs> yeah, you said why, and I well, said, "Well, probably well, government issues." Anyway, <laughs> yeah. So I said, "Is this 
George Duncan Fisher Ledoux, and you were like, hello there. And I just like, I had my fan moment. I was like, oh my God, he hasn't lost it. All right. So <laughs> yeah, you I know have what? an idea. I, I, I remember now when that phone call, I, I literally remember the moment I was in a different house, but I had a, an outdoor yard shed and I actually happened to be working in there, moving stuff around and the phone, my phone was ringing. I'm like, who the fuck are calling me? You know, and then it was you. So I was like not intimidated by having my wife anywhere near me because just it's just my natural inclination to to tap, tamper down my uh, enthusiasm <laughs> for everything. No, yeah. <laughs> for, for for acting and stuff. I've always been like that, where it's like, oh, it's time to practice, pr- time to practice your musical instrument. Okay, everybody, leave the room. <laughs> yeah, I know that feeling. It's the same thing with with my voice acting for many, many, many years. It's like, no, I would not perform in public because my my wife is always like, you should do some impressions. You should. Do. I was like, no, I'm I'm not a I'm not a a, a monkey. Uh, you know, I don't, I just don't do that. I'd never like to be on all the time. Some people can get away with it. Like Robin Williams, he could be on constantly and you know, it, it was great. You did. He didn't get annoying per se. Um, whereas other actors just no. So I've always been like, I'm not going on until someone either pays me or it's a particular, uh, situation like this one where it's like, okay, you know, don't be yourself. <laughs> be, yeah. be, enter, be entertaining. <laughs> These words of words of wisdom with George Lou. Don't be yourself. Be Don't big. Be, <laughs> that's right. Big. Start big and see what they do. But anyway, yeah. When you called me, I was working in the shed, so you were like, "Oh, is this George Duncan Fisher?" Like, Hello, everybody. This is Duncan Fisher, and you you almost I could hear you crapping your pants yeah. through the phone. Yeah, because no. you were so happy. It's because like. And that was I'm, before people started getting annoying. <laughs> and, and that's that's the thing is that like when it comes down to to battle tech, mm-hmm. just I've talked about this a little bit in the past, but I I'm an autistic person, mm-hmm. and I was diagnosed autistic when they used to put you in the rubber room. You know, sure. they were just like they were like, oh well, we can't give this guy sharp scissors. You know, they right. they they thought that we were all Rain Man. Don't get any and, glue near him either. Yeah, don't get glue with sequins. <laughs> that boy's troubled. And and so, like, Battletech was one of those things that brought me out of my social shell because mm-hmm. it was sharing a common activity. It involved math. It involved robots. It was a lot of cool stuff. And everyone at the table was really welcome and opening and just awesome. And mm-hmm. there were so many different people that were into this from so many different backgrounds. You found middle-class folks with shitloads of robots. You found kids just starting out who had yep. the ur- Urban Mech or the Awesome and, and Hunchback as it was in my case did anybody play with the cardboard ones a few a A few few, yeah but like oh you're just starting us son (laughs) well what i found that was cool back then was if people showed up with the cardboard ones yeah the rest of the people at the table would slowly buy them the rest of them to help them fill it out it would be like oh i saw you 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 had an os scout there so i got you one and it was just because it was a self-perpetuating really positive environment sure and, and so, because it was a niche game, yeah, they people wanted to help promote it. The people yes. who were really into it were like, "Oh yeah, oh yeah, this guy, this guy is showing interest. I'm going to help him." You know yeah. that kind of thing. Oh yeah, uh, there was no, there was no that. real like elitism back then in role playing games. It was just like, thank God you showed up. And, <laughs> yeah, because that was half the battle with role playing yeah. games. You had to show up. It wasn't like just jump on your computer. You know, and, I mean, well, in the era I'm thinking of, you know, because I mean. I 
knew about like Dungeons and Dragons in high school, and I know people played it, but I couldn't have told you what it was about except fantasy stuff. Because at that point, I think I had started reading some fantasy novels, so I knew what that world was. And someone said, "Oh yeah, Dungeons and Dragons is like that. You you play as." A wizard or you know a fighter or something and i'd be like oh well that's interesting and i'd be like rolling my eyes oh my god you know well, yeah, you were, you, and i well, was you, one but i wouldn't let anybody know it well you were you were a different kind of nerd you're into horror movies you're into 1950s and 60s classic horror you're yeah. into you know it's a, that's a nerd of its own sort you're into yeah. radio plays that's well, nerdy I don't mind, stuff i don't mind the badge now but back yeah. in high school it was oh, no, like back no, in the no, day, no 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 yeah, I'm back normal. In, yeah. <laughs> back in the day, those yeah. of you who don't get this, who are newly into D&D, people who came up with 4th and 5th edition D&D, you guys don't understand this, but back in the day, being branded as a nerd was being ostracized. Absolutely. You, were, you would get your shit pushed in and beat up and made fun of and mocked and thrown out of social circles. So that's mm -hmm. why the whole nerds in the basement thing, that's where that comes from. We had to retreat to wood paneled basements to pretend right. To be wizards right. and elves and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean and it's true. So, like, BattleTech drew me out of it, and I was always really big into the setting. And I remember a friend of mine was really getting into um, Warhammer 40k, and he goes, "Warhammer 40k is the best sci-fi setting. Warhammer 40k is the best." And I said, "No, it's not. It's it's literally a bunch of copy paste taken from other settings and put and blended into some dark gothic art, which is cool. 40k yeah. is cool, but it's not the best. I like I everyone should define their own best. And this guy goes, no, no, 40k is the deepest lore setting there is. And I took that personally. <laughs> yeah, I can see you doing that. <laughs> oh, I so I started Text Talks BattleTech, and when it started to gain traction, I said I need. Duncan Fisher. <laughs> so the rest of my team at that time were like, are you insane? And I said, no, I'm writing this in character from an in character point of view. So I need another person who is canonically in character in this universe. I need Duncan Fisher. I, that's why I made the call. And, and since then you've helped us shit post like nobody else has before. It's, it's been incredible. So I just wanted to thank you on behalf of the Battletech community for. Well wearing that old suit dude thank you i mean you know back then um you and one other person were the only two people that had ever contacted me you know and s there was lots of gaps you know okay let's let's say that so with the, the original game was done that was like 2000 or something 2004 that, i think no no literally when 2000 was when mercenaries four Mech Warrior 4 Mercenaries came out was 2000. Then that must be when I picked it up. Because I remember games when I, it's like, I remember movies when I saw them, not when yeah. they came out, which is right, weird. But, that, but see, you, you didn't, you called me several years ago. I don't remember how many years ago, but it was, there had already been like a couple of iterations that were fan made things. Like I had done something, uh, it was Mech Warrior Living Legends. Yeah, Which would, yeah, that was a, and you know that that game, and they had contacted me at some point, but all through email only, and said, you know, we're thinking of having Duncan Fisher in this. Is this something you would be interested in? And I'm, and I'm like, sure, you know, why not? You know, even before that though, there was this other thing called Mech Warrior Leagues. I don't know if you were around for that. I was not involved in that, but I'd heard of it. Yeah, that was like a multiplayer thing, and they were trying to do like, uh, you know 
leaderboards and all kinds of stuff. And um, I got involved with them, them a little bit. And that was all just voluntary stuff because I was such a, I was still what I would consider a novice uh, voice actor, even though people would argue with that. But I wasn't full time. And so any little job that would come around that said, hey, we'd like to have your voice in our thing, I'd be like, okay, you know. Yeah. You don't have to pay me anything. So it's unfortunate for you that you came along a little later. <laughs> yeah. I, like, <laughs> because, I, you know. Yeah. But anyway, you weren't, you weren't the first. Um, so, but those things never really got as much traction as your stuff did, which was cool because, dude, I know you, you – you seem to think that I am the iconic voice of Battletech, but I would argue differently um, because I was old. I was old school. Okay. Uh, yeah. Video game Battletech. But, but now you, you know, like it or not, your voice has become very synonymous with Battletech people. There's a lot of people out there on YouTube that, that do all kinds of videos. Well, and sure. Stuff. And many good and ones too. And they're very many good, good ones. ones. Yes. Yeah. But, but, but you just have the voice, man. And whether it's real or not, and and you do such good, intelligent writing of those scripts that it just it's it sticks you're, with people. Man, you're making me all embarrassed and shit. No uh, one can see it. I, Don't worry well, about it. They'll they'll hear it. <laughs> yeah, but they they can't see that nervous tick where you start undressing when you get embarrassed. Yeah. So yeah, they're like, not oh. seeing that. I'm seeing yeah. that, and I'm not really comfortable anymore. So I'm going to stop it's, this it's, this line yeah. of. Uh, <laughs> compliments <laughs> it's it's one of those things where like when it comes down to my voice it's the product of damage like i have a damaged larynx and voice box yeah and i cannot Mine stand is too <laughs> and i i cannot stand my own voice when i listen to my own shit back i just cringe and i go that sounds so terrible no and i and i have people who go that sounds wonderful and i go exactly it to me, it sounds like someone who's dying, it or well, is dead inside. You could make that <laughs> argument for anybody who has a distinctive voice. Think of think of people like Louis Armstrong. Oh, you know, man. that yeah, guy didn't that's... sing or, or talk like anybody else. Tom Waits is another one. Tom Tom Waits is actually one of my favorites. Yeah, uh, I've got every Tom Waits thing that he ever made. It's like, yeah, well, the piano has been drinking. <laughs> yeah, not me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the bar stools are on fire. That guy, yeah. I he, love him. Tom because Waits because he's so unique, and and his and his songwriting is so different. I mean, he he done love songs, but they're not like normal love songs, you know. And he writes about they're, weird shit and death. They're very real love songs. Yes, um, yes. The the yes. way There's not a lot of romanticizing yeah. in there. Yep. No, it's just like, hey, you're good enough for now. Now let's yeah. do some shots. Um, yeah, exactly. And yeah. And he doesn't do that anymore, but he did for a long time. That was like his persona. He's like, well, I guess I got to do another shot here. Anybody got any cigarettes? I, <laughs> in my head, when I, because I know they would never let me do this, but if like Netflix or Amazon or whatever came along and said, you can make a Battletech TV show, like oh. if, they, if it, I, I would choose people like Tom Waits to be like, the bar player in a Mac warrior Oh, yeah. Bar. Yeah, like that fits in my head. For exactly. A, Go yeah. for the interesting, cool character people. Not the, but, you know, you wouldn't have any choice. 
that's, no, that's the, no, that's the no. reality of it. It's like, they, yes, Tex, we'll give you this job, but then you don't get to make one single decision. <laughs> Why did you say that like George Ledoux, like Duncan Fisher? It's just like it's Duncan thing. Fisher presents the corporate board. That's right. <laughs> Hello, Tex. It's fine to meet you. Now, please sit down and keep quiet while we discuss your show. Yeah, <laughs> Thank you. it's like Thank you so much. we've we've already cast the entire thing at once, and you're like, awesome. but we allowed an AI to decide. Uh, <laughs> uh, God, what an okay. era. Anyway, well, here's here's the thing that I think is interesting, and this is yeah. one thing that's always grabbed me about BattleTech is okay. that it's that nineteen early nineteen eighties version of the future, that cassette futurism, you know, yeah. where. It's like a bunch of guys smoking in a bar and a bunch of ladies smoking in a bar and everyone's got like jean jackets and fishnets and big <laughs> yeah. hair, you know, just yes. big hair. And yep. and everyone's a bunch of like mutts and malcontents and degenerates and weirdos. Yeah. And 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 everybody's just like spacers, you know, they're it just reminds they, me yeah. very much of the first uh Escape from New York, that movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, yeah. where you know, Kurt Russell goes off to Manhattan and it's just like punks with spiky hair and, and hard ass guys and everybody's wearing leather and it's like yeah cool oh look this is a hot chick it's Adrian Barbeau nice yeah. you know and it's like call me snake oh god <laughs> look at what how a, cool I am call me snake I, I love that there's you know I, I in the, it was such an era of like style over substance where oh, it was absolutely. just absolutely rule of cool you know where yes. it's like yes it's like why does this guy have a giant pompadour because he has an 80 ton battle mic fuck you he's cool <laughs> yes. you know so yeah, yeah yeah if you look at the old battle tech art yeah god some of that stuff was hilarious and it's Go <laughs> if for anyone who doesn't know what we're talking about snords irregulars just go type that in and you'll you'll find all the 80s art where you're like crazy people looking directly at the camera looking crazy and that's that was a whole like afro samurai looking dudes it was just it was just rule of cool it it looked like someone had taken that movie the warriors oh yeah and then kink, and then kink, yeah kink, yeah kink. warriors <laughs> you know and yep. yeah and then just cut them loose with a bit of cassette futurism, you know, where all, all <laughs> yeah. the computers are giant and stupid. It was it was a really, really cool setting. But and did I ever tell I don't think I ever told you the the very first time I actually sat down and really looked at what Battletech was. Yeah. Cause I I had done the game or the intro, you know, when I when I did the game. The first one there I did, the first one I did was Black Knight Legion. That was my very first exposure to to Battletech as a game. Never saw it, never heard of it even before then. You know, the developer showed me all this stuff, and I'm like, oh, that looks really cool. And and I'm thinking, wow, this is really cool. This, I, this is pretty neat. And they then we were going to go start making Mech Warrior Mercenaries, and they were telling me about Solaris 7. And, you know, that they wanted Where to murder cast is illegal. <laughs> yeah, but they didn't, they didn't have that as the tagline at the time. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's the gaming world. I'm like, oh, okay, that sounds cool. And, and, they're, and we're going to have you as, like, an arena announcer. I'm like, oh, okay, sure. And so, you know. But then I said, well, I know there's a bunch of Battletech novels out there. Are any of them, do any of them have to do with this, this place, Solaris 7? Because as I wanted to research it, I was really wanting to put my all into it, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, so yeah. they're like, one of them, one or two of the game devs were really Battletech players. They, they knew all about it and they had all the stuff. And they're like, yeah, go get this book. Um, 
Now, of course, the name of it escapes me. It's okay. I get what you're saying. Like, yeah, but there was I, a book about, about that. And, and so I'm reading this book and going, God, this is not what I expected at all. This is, this is dark. This is yeah. gritty. Everybody's yeah. a fucking asshole. And this, in this, it's like every character was a jerk. <laughs> Like, yeah. what, is, what the heck is going on here? It's like, it's all militaristic and death and destruction. And it's like, nobody gives a damn about anything. And I'm like, just money. It was, and it was just rubbing me so much the wrong way because all of that was just not what I was expecting. It's, it's really seedy, like old yes. Vegas. It's, yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Like old Vegas. Cause I had been to old Vegas, not old, 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 old Vegas, but before it became a family destination. Um, yeah, before it became corporate, you yes, you, you saw it was you still saw the good the, old boys <laughs> running yeah. in the, not the good old boys, but the what do they call those guys? Uh, the, Italian uh, Americans. Yes, <laughs> yes, because the other thing doesn't exist. Um, no, of course not. That's insane. Yeah. Please, good fellas. When the good fellas were running it, yeah, those guys. Uh, yeah, you know, hey, some hey. of them were wise. <laughs> look at this. Look at how many blueberries your muffin has. Compared to mine, <laughs> I want yeah. the same number of blueberries in every muffin. Okay. <laughs> it, Sorry, I'm thinking I, of Casino. <laughs> get, well, what a great movie. Um, but one, one of the things that I loved about like Battletech coming along is that it is a universe that is a bit gritty. It's not noble bright, you know, where everyone right. everyone has tea and cake and everyone's happy, but it's not like you know, 40 K where it's grim dark for the sake of grim. It's like, welcome to planet murder, cult, kill, fuck soul shitter seven, where the sky rains, baby blood. And you're like, yes. why? <laughs> but I grew up with more of an optimistic look to the future. Believe me, that has gone, but I did have an optimistic look to the future. Cause I grew up with things like star Trek, the original Same. star Trek, Same. you know, and, yeah. and it, and just thinking, wow, in the future, there won't be any any racial bias. There won't be any any real crime. People are going to be, you know, just just all happy and stuff. And you know, the civilized parts of the world will be wonderful. There won't be any money problems and all this stuff that was like Gene Roddenberry's wet dream. And yeah. it's just it, as as wonderful as it was. But but it it made me think, oh, this is good. And then things like the movies I was watching at the time, and then Star Wars came along, and it was like, wow, isn't this neat? Neato! Star Wars is cool! And, and it was all that. And then uh, then suddenly the 80s came along, and stuff started getting dark. Grim. <laughs> well, and that's, that's the thing, is that a lot of people don't realize this, but the 80s was incredibly pessimistic when it came yeah. to the future. And so you end First up with- The first movie I saw that was 80s-like was Alien. And I had seen that on Christmas Day or the day after Christmas or something like that with people. And we all went in the theater going, well, this ought to be neat. It's alien. You know, we didn't know anything about it. Anything. And and I'm sitting there going, oh, my God. What I love. <laughs> this is what everyone's I, a jerk. <laughs> what, I, well, what I loved about Alien is Alien and then Sean Connery's Outland. Oh, I love that movie. I, Outland's a fantastic film. Yep. For people who want to understand what cassette futurism looks like, Alien and Outland, yeah. both of those, where the computers are big mainframes, everyone smokes all the time. It's a very yes. denim future. And Outland but, isn't really even that that sci-fi. I mean, it, it's not. It's not. It, it could be set in a western town. 
Sure. Yeah. Outland could be set on an oil derrick in the yes. Gulf of Mexico. It could yes. be set anywhere. It's right. it's it's an industrial set where everyone chain smokes all the time. Yeah. And there's a and there's a power play between the guy who runs the company store, the mine, and the sheriff, essentially. Yeah, and, Sean yeah. Connery is the sheriff. Yeah. Ah, and you know, I'm here to bring peace to the space. <laughs> It's been a long time since I've seen it. And you know, it's funny, you mentioned it somewhere, somehow, maybe through some text message or something. And when you did that, I was like, damn, I love that movie. I haven't seen that in ever. And I went and got the, the DVD of it. And then I misplaced it. <laughs> I, I just refound it because I knew I was going to be doing something. And it's like, I've got to watch this again. And I haven't seen it in 20 years at least. What uh, I what I thought that was was interesting is also in the eighties was an era of of uh, Shadowrun, which is another FASA product. Just see, like I didn't Battletech. know anything about that till just not too long ago. Well, in Shadowrun is about corporate megalopolies and oligopolies yeah. taking over the world and many other things. Uh, you have Cyberpunk. Cyberpunk is another eighties product. Yes. Very grim view of a punk future. Yep. And so the I'm Blade I'm, Runner. That yeah. Kind of thing. Oh yeah. And when it comes down to, like, that grimness of the looking at the future, you realize that, like, Roddenberry had his, you know, perfect future where it's like racism is gone and sure, everyone has yeah. understanding and everyone has all these other things. And you have food is wherever you want it. And the biggest struggle of your life is to define the self-driving purpose of your existence. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And then, you know, as an adult. When you've had to do, you know, adult shit for a living. Right. And you've had to go out there and, like, watch dreams die. <laughs> yeah. Your own. And your own <laughs> dreams. <laughs> and then on the vine. Well, it's not only that. <laughs> I think part of getting older is you look at all of your friends that that had all of these profound dreams of the future saying, I'm going to change the world and I'm going to go out there and do stuff. Yep. And you watch them, like, get married. And then have kids, and they put all that aside, and then 20 years on, you go, hey, remember when you said you were going to? And he's like, yeah, well, I got a mortgage, you know. Yeah, uh, and, and the kids and all yeah. that. And, yeah, uh, life changes. Life absolutely. changes. Yeah. And so you realize how noble, bright a lot of those shows were. But I remind people that in the Star Trek setting, there was a eugenics war. Oh, yes. And then there was a World War Three. Yeah. And yeah. then there was the happy future. So right. as I remind people who are like, oh, man, the future's grim. Remember in Star Trek, they went through grim shit mm -hmm. in order to get there. So that's right. kind of part of the thing. Battletech is one of those settings where we went to the stars and we're still jerks. Everyone. <laughs> we're still humans. Well, is what was the what was I wrote? Uh, your neighbors are probably up to something and the universe doesn't run on hugs. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's true. Always have money in in hand. You're gonna need it. Yeah, but I I like I really like the portrayal of a realistically gritty future. Oh, like, absolutely. It doesn't it doesn't glorify war and combat. Although some people seem to think that, but it doesn't. I mean, it's like really mega shit happens in these battles, and you know, whole worlds are obliterated, and and you know, and it's all over petty shit that the the, the royal houses oh yeah you know. like well you you look at the great houses where uh in my head i know that this is not accurate to lores so for those of you who are writing in please stop um in my head i see the great houses of the inner sphere as like king louis the 16th's court 
where everyone's sure. sitting around on gilded chaise, you know, lounges, and they're like, what if we were to destroy another planet this summer? And they're like, oh, splendid, you know, and they're <laughs> right. just... Well, like, what's, what's his name? The guy gave his wife a battle. He's like, yeah. I give you the inner sphere. Uh, I, I, I give I you really, the Capellan Confederation, yeah. I just, I just wanted a set of China. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I aim for the stars, my dear. That's right. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's, yeah. it's Who was like... That? Uh, oh God, now I'm going to have a brain fart. Uh, it's one of the Davions. Okay. It's, God damn it. Now you're putting right me in. on the spot. Everybody write in and tell, and tell Tex that he well, doesn't know as much as he acts. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens when you end up with like four hours of sleep. It's like, yes. as soon as we get to editing this podcast, I'm like, Tex, you Steiner. dummy. Archon, uh, one of the Steiners. Catherine, well, Catherine it, it, Steiner. Well, at that point, it's the joined houses of the Federated right. And her husband was yeah. a Davion, right? Well, they come together to be like, hey, you know how we're like the opposite ends of the inner sphere? What, we, what would sure. be cool is if we started like a band. You know, we got the band yeah. back together. Well, it's well, typical old, old royal shenanigans. You oh, know? sure. Like, marry oh, sure. off your daughter to this guy so that no one fights. You know, you know we have a reason now not to fight each other. And, you know, well, of throw, course. The, throw the peasants into the cannon. Well, right. And, and, and that's what I do like about Battletech is you end up with these um, crazy continuations of like inner royal house problems where you see that on the surface, there's like a strategic issue of yeah. we need access to X or Y material or we need to neutralize X or Y advantage. And then. Above that, you see the internecine house disputes, where it's just like, I don't like them very much. And yeah. <laughs> wouldn't yeah. it be funny if they went away? Yes. Well, you know, it's it's one of those things that I think it's a it's a uh, a, a criticism that's pretty accurate. BattleTech, when they do their stories and novels and stuff, it rarely. I can't think of an instance, but then I'm not that that well read in Battletech books. I am, it, it's Hans and Melissa Davion, thirty twenty eight, thirty twenty eight. See, that's you just had to was. stop See, thinking about it for a well, second. No, that's that's the issue. Is a lot of people don't realize this, but when you get older, you'll sit there, and I'm I'm saying this as someone who turned thirty nine this year, so mm -hmm. this is still relatively new as a phenomenon for me. But it gets old, yeah. When, <laughs> It is, no, it is, I already know what you're going to say. Is you'll be you'll be sitting there going like, God, I was an idiot in that meeting. And you'll be driving home. And then to no one, you will go, oh, it was that. Fuck. And and you remember yeah. it just instantly your brain removes that log jam in your head of something you actually know. And oh, yeah. have studied. And, and I know a lot of things. But when I try to, you know, bring yeah, them when, up in conversation, it's like, uh, uh, I don't well, know. And that's, well, that's the and issue. Then, is, then it comes to me later when I'm thinking about peanuts. Suddenly, yeah, I'm like, "Oh, yeah, it's, it's Catherine Davidson." It's the, it's yeah, Davion, well, and, that's it. and I remember the reason I remember it is a friend of mine had framed the. Um, there was that wedding invitation that they had put in one of the books. Oh where yeah, it said, yeah, 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 and. And I thought that was really cool because it showed that the universe was more than just like big force A, big force B. It showed that like, hey, you know, you, you're cordially invited to this, you know, well, joining that's, that's, of the houses. That's what the, the point I was actually going to make. And I, I sort of got derailed. I derailed myself. But basically, I was going to say they never really talk about civilians that much. 
Yes. And what like their day-to-day lives would be. Not that that would be very interesting to a lot of Battletech fans, but for others, I think it would be because I've heard that criticism a lot that that uh, even though it's, it's this huge universe and lots of lore and lots of stories about, you know, things that that they don't have a lot of stories that are basically it's like, you know, hey, man, what's going on? Oh, oh, did you see? They started another war on the other side of the galaxy. Oh, again? I know. You know just, just this kind of interaction and people, just small stories, small stories. Well, it's I remember I was looking for that stuff when I was doing Duncan Fisher things, you know, and I've made a few videos of my own, and I'm like, you know, there's nothing about this guy because he didn't exist until the game. So he's not in canon. So that's why I, someone had written a, a short story, and I thought it was really cool about – it was a personalized story about Duncan Fisher. And then I thought it was so good that I said, you know what? I want to make this into a, into a video. And that's what I did. And the, the, um, you know, it's a, it's a video that's on my YouTube channel, but that guy wrote a really pretty good story that focused on Duncan Fisher when he was still competing, you know? And I thought that was really good. And I'm talking and talking right now, Tex, because I'm trying to remember the name of the story. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's again. It's it's the it's the issues oh of age. God. Like, I if my the my last, back, the last contender. There it is. Uh, the last contender. That sounds like a Scorsese film. Oh, it's, it, a, yeah. it's a good story, and I really well, enjoyed performing it as Duncan and, Fisher. And it, well, and, and it and I agree with you. It's like while while there's a, while there's a lot in the setting, like you have. You know, Hans and Melissa Steiner getting married on Terra in 3028. And at the wedding, he's like, I give you the Capellan Confederation. He announces yeah. the fourth succession war. I remember right. that. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And and then you're wondering, what is Tom, Dick, and Harry on the average planet thinking about this? Because you understand that a lot of the planets in Battle Tank do not have like hyper tech level settings. A lot of them are like 1950s, 60s. It's like, welcome to planet corn. You know, sure, what, what, exactly, yeah. exactly. And that, it, that's what makes me wonder about that. And what the cities, you know, the cities there, because you see like great artwork with the big stompy robots going through these cities and these people are just like, what the fuck, man? Yeah. <laughs> imagine, imagine sitting there in line waiting to get a corn dog. You're waiting to get a corn dog. You're like, man, it's been a long fucking day at that construction site. Goddamn, building a three-mile-tall building's a son of a bitch. Yeah. All right. We've got to put a giant metal fist on the side of it because, yeah. And then you hear <laughs> that in the like distance. sounds like coming. And you're like, what the fuck is that? That doesn't sound like thunder. And then yeah, you're I like, know. oh, man, my job blew up. And after you already hear the things coming, then the town turns on the siren. You know, it's like, oh, yeah. good job. Good job, guys. <laughs> you had one job. Yeah. Well, that's it's what you talk about is like writing stories in the margins. Um, writing marginalia of, of a setting says a lot. That's why, like, when it comes down to 40K writing, I like the writing of Dan Abnett because he writes a lot of the average citizens and stuff in his Inquisitor series. He writes a lot about where it's not like, kill fuck soul shit and walked in with his 12-foot sword. It's about people having people conversations, mm-hmm. people having interpersonal difficulties, people walking around in the shadows of these giant edifices. And mm. it's like... There's a lot of cool stuff there. Um, it sounds like you're making an argument for Warhammer now over Battletech. Shut up. So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but what I'm saying is that there's good marginalia out there. Yeah, people need yeah. to write in between the lines and kind of give people some contrast. Because mm-hmm. 
if all Godzilla was is the two monsters fighting for two hours straight and there was no human struggle down on the ground of, oh, we have to save grandma. She's in the way or, you know, right, right, how right. people's life changes under the shadow of these large events. Right. It, there's no contrast. Um, it's kind of why when I started writing Van Zant, which is a, oddly enough canon now. Um, <laughs> when when I started writing little bits of my setting, I said, I'm basing this off Canton, Texas, which is in Van Zant County, which is basically a love letter to any town two stops off the interstate. Mm-hmm. Where you go through America and you drive on the interstate, you will run into the same Denny's, the oh, same BP yeah. station, the yeah. same Texaco, the same stops, the same Duncans. motels. Yeah, every stop you go. But if you go two stops off that, 20, 30, 40 miles off the beaten path, you find something that is stuck decades in the past. Absolutely. And so, like, Van Zandt is my love letter to growing up in small-town Texas, where it's just, like, people are weird, and they know they're weird, because they don't like the idea of a bigger world around them. They're like, oh, them fancy. They like that insular insular quality of their own world. And, you know, I get that. The town, the place I lived in before, where I live now, it was basically a five-college community. Yeah. Okay. So you can imagine the intelligentsia and the academia that was surrounded that. And of course that brings in an, a completely different sort of culture and feeling and sure, all absolutely. That stuff. But then I moved to this town that I'm in now and it was it wasn't my first choice, but it's where I am and the main culture of this town and it's not that it's a bad thing, but it's it's a racetrack. We have a we have a, a small NASCAR racetrack, and just of the towns surrounding it are exactly what you're describing. We are we are literally less than five minutes from an interstate. Okay. Yeah. And you know, right out, right after you, right after you get off the exit, there's all these things you're just saying. But when you go into the town. And just drive to the next town over, going yes. away from the interstate. Then I found diners that still smell like cigarette smoke, like it's yeah. still buried yeah. in the wallpaper. And and you can you just walk in there and go, oh my god, I grew up in diners like this. It's because everybody it's, smoked. Well, it's like going back in time. Yes. And like one of the things that blew my mind is you'll go to small town America and you'll go like get a bar. You'll go to a barber shop. Yep. And they don't have the big picture of all the popular haircuts on the wall. Right. They have pictures of all the people's hair they've cut. Right. And, it's yeah, like like it, celebrities or people that, yeah. they, you know, sometimes it's celebrities depending on where you are. But in, yeah. in most cases, it's just like local yeah, the, the local celebrities. They'll be yeah, like, oh, like, that was the captain of the football team in 78. He had yeah, a good exactly, pick. Yeah, exactly. All the Al Bundys of the world. We gave him and, and his whole family buzz cuts. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that was, that's what we specialized in. Then. Uh, yeah, give me a Deke Slayton, please. I want to look like Mission Control. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I want to look like I want to look like my shop teacher from 1965. I remember <laughs> I remember what was weird about that experience was like going to a small town barbershop you realize that this had been like if you go to a big city barbershop you'll go in there and everything's the same you're like welcome to good clips or good cuts or whatever sure especially the chains yeah yeah 
it, they have the same music playing. They have the same chairs mm-hmm. playing. They have the same equipment. You go into the old one, there'll be like a Wurlitzer jukebox in the corner. Yeah. And and there'll, there'll be that, again, that pall of old nicotine and must. Yes. You'll have all those old pictures. And then you sit down in the old-timey barber chair and you realize there are ashtrays in them. Yes, yes. And, yeah, and it's it's a, it's going back in time. And ever mm-hmm. since talking about writing what you know in terms of writing your own fan fiction or your headcanon, which right. I, don't, I don't think, again, that people should always embrace the canon as written, but write your own place in the universe. Put yourself in there. Have some fun, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. One of my fans did this with rural Maine. Because he goes, oh, okay. oh, if you go two steps off the interstate in Maine, yeah. you get into Cthulhuville, yeah. as he called it. You know, yeah, where that's, it's- that's kind of where I lived for many years. Not Maine, but I lived in Massachusetts, which, of course, is where you know a lot of Lovecraft is set. And I literally lived in a town that bordered there's – a, there's, a, there's a Lovecraft story called Color Out of Space. And that was about this this – town that had been flooded over and i lived in the town that was still existing part of it had been flooded over but i lived in that town that was right in existence of where this gigantic reservoir was constructed and they erased like five massachusetts towns to build this thing and lovecraft set the color out of space in the middle of that reservoir and that was like i think I, I could be wrong here in the story details, but I remember that they were saying something like, oh, this is one of the reasons they picked this place to put the reservoir to sort of bury it. Yeah. <laughs> bury no, and, bury and the that's, location. But that's what's cool is writing what you know. And yeah. so, like, I, I find a lot of people when they want to try to write anything sci-fi, I'm like, write what you know first, and then mm-hmm. you can fit it in that universe. And he started sharing some of the notes of writing this world that was based on rural Maine, where it's wow. like you can get lost in the trees. You can yeah, you, you yeah. can go. It's a bunch of old wooden buildings that creak and make mm-hmm. noises in the wind. It's a bunch and of. I can I yeah. can bring you to places like that in Massachusetts. Same like where I live. It was like I told you five college town, but right off of that, it was like stepping back, and it's like everybody's like that. It it's sort of like you know like. Uh, Tolkien's Tolkien's female dwarves. Even the women are covered with beards. Yeah. yeah. Type of thing. Well, you end up with a lot of really interesting places you never knew existed. Yes. And and it's it's like you say going to old diners. Um, We found that when we did a road trip a few years ago, we stopped through Battle Creek, Michigan, as the locals call it. Battle Creek. Isn't that where they make cereal? Yeah. Yeah. And so... We went through Battle Creek and there was this diner called the Lux Diner. Like not deluxe, just Lux. Just Lux, yeah. Yeah, we, okay. we ain't got time for a D in front of it, just Lux. <laughs> and, and, and we went in there and everything, all the all the portions were like the size of toilet seats. They were just yeah. huge. But yeah. everyone was so damn nice. And they said, Where are y'all from? In like third third interrogation we had from them not uh, what would you like how was your trip right where are y'all from where are you and from that is one of those things you notice in small towns that sure. whole insular nature but it, it is right. interesting those well, they want to make sure they're not getting invaded you know yeah. that's important uh, to them they're, they're like <laughs> <laughs> you know if, if we're gonna have to get out you know the call out the militia we need to know because you know we don't pay Wait. that much attention <laughs> As soon as they saw us coming in the restaurant, they like pick up the phone and hit nine and one and then wait. <laughs> Land and 
Andy, you better get down here, Andy. We got all kinds of strangers in the restaurant. <laughs> There's far more people than we're used to. Oh, just relax, Barn. They're probably not going to stay. Yeah. It's, it's, it, but it's one of those things where I, I tell people, write what you know. Write the weird little places you're from because mm-hmm. most people have in their life lived in places that are so bizarre that the rest of the world has no idea. Right. And and by setting something in that in a setting like Battle Tank, where it's really cosmopolitan, there's a lot of crazy ideas from everywhere. You know, from Afro samurai to big hair lady with jean jacket who kills planets. <laughs> right. You end up with all of these crazy ideas. So write what you know. I wanted to ask, though, while I've okay. got you here, I have yes. a lot of people. I've noticed this online. Uh, you go watch a streamer. You go watch. You go look at anyone's social media presence. One of the most common tags you see is voice actor, voice actress. A lot of people out there put themselves on the market as voice actor and voice actress. Most of them are aspirational. Most of them have yet to find their place. They are looking for a way. How did you start? How did all this start? How did the great pipes of George Ledoux become something that we know? Well, how far back should I go? Well, go to the olden times, and we'll work our way forward. I'll 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 have Mike edit that which okay. strays too long. <laughs> okay. Well, when I was a lad, we're talking like ten or eleven. My older brother had been overseas, and we're talking like nineteen seventy one, seventy two. Okay, he came in out of the service, and he had brought back a whole bunch of really cool stereo equipment to which. From where we lived and what we had, that was just like, it was like looking at a spaceship sitting on a shelf, you know, because of all the equipment he had. But he had, you know, this was in the service. Everything was cheaper for him. So anyway, he had this gigantic reel-to-reel recorder. And I was fascinated by this thing because he he showed me how it works. It's like, see, you can record yourself. And that was the first time I heard my own voice outside of my head. And I was like, that's not me. And he goes, oh, you know, that sounds exactly what you sound like. Nobody sounds the same in their head as they do otherwise. So anyway, he said, if you're really careful, I'll let you play with this. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'll be careful. You know, I'll be real careful. So I, he let me play with this giant reel-to-reel recorder. And that could do, you know, multiple tracks and all kinds of stuff. And it took me a long time to figure it out, but I figured it out. And I used to do just... Like what I I used to call just um, commentary. I would play. I would play like I would record. I don't know if you know who this guy is, Johnny Horton. Yes, yes, okay. I do. Yes, he had he had an album of Johnny Horton's greatest hits, and I remember playing and recording. We have to sync the Bismarck or sync the Bismarck. Yep. And then I would come back after the song was done, and I would reenact scenes from that uh but doing different voices and stuff because you know as a kid i had a hell of an imagination but there was nothing Before else life to do. beat you down yeah, yeah. i know I, I but no yes. i feel i that's what we were talking about earlier where you want yeah. your dreams night when you're a kid you're like i could be an actor i could be an astronaut oh i never I, thought yeah. that i never oh. thought that I, no no god no i i because that was beaten down out of me long before I even thought I could be an actor. It was like, no, no, with you don't want to be an actor. Those those people are not good people. 
there were, you know, actors and entertainers and performers. That's that was my the mindset of my mother, uh, and my not my father so much because he didn't think that hard about things. But my mother was very religious, and it's like the only actor she she thought who was a good person. And this shows you how inaccurate this can be. She thought Bing Crosby was the most wonderful person in the world. Bing Crosby. Yeah, yes, but wow. But people like Frank Sinatra. And Dean Martin. The Rat Pack. Exactly. Mm. Those people, no, you don't want to be, you don't want to go towards that kind of world. You should you learn don't wanna trade. Cool. <laughs> you, you don't want to be cool. You don't want to be cool. You don't want to trade. <laughs> like your brothers. Your brother's an electrician. Your brother's a, 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 a metal worker. I said, you know, do that. Don't even think about being an actor. Well, you tell a kid, especially a spoiled, rotten kid, that he can't do something. And of course he keeps thinking about it all the time. How can well, I do that? <laughs> yeah. No, you're you're not wrong. It's um I I found the same thing in my life. If someone tells me you can't X, you can't Y, you know, there's no way you can do that. Um right. I found that the people who say those sorts of things, and this is something I want to communicate to the audience, is they're projecting upon you their fears and feelings and viewpoint oh, of the world. And, and and that's one of those things where they go, it was impossible for me to seek my dreams. So dreams are impossible. Mm -hmm. And it's like, right, but just to prove a friend wrong based on his particular viewpoint and a relatively friendly, I don't want people to think that I was mad at my friend or anything, but a relatively friendly disagreement over 40K and Battletech I now am able to spend 300 days at a time making film productions and two-hour finished films in 4K, 60 frames a second, involving a massive group of people from around the world. Yeah. Dreams are possible. you got to work your ass off. Nothing's easy. But I, I just want people to know that, like, you've had your issues with people saying you can't do that. You're now a known actor. People tell me, you know, told me when I was a kid, you'll never make movies. You'll never make movies. You'll never right. make movies. No one's going to pay to watch one of your movies. No one's going to pay for a, something like that. Right. Wrong. They will if you don't give up. And it, it comes down to that kind of steadfast determination. So in your origin story, young kid playing and mastering yeah. your own stuff. Right. And now I'm going to skip ahead. Oh, all right. <laughs> just hit the. Because well, again, <laughs> it's just a kid. Doing his thing. And you well, know, sure. then I had I had a cousin who we used to like to play around. He had the same kind of recorder at his own home. So we'd play around with that because he could do a lot of funny voices and stuff too. So we would just make up these things just to just to goof around because neither of us smoked, neither of us drank. We didn't do, you know, we didn't do drugs or anything. So people would listen to our recordings that we would do completely improv improvised and go man what are you guys smoking and we were like we're not smoking anything we're just using our imaginations on full tilt no you know? no there is no crazier drug than the imagination like yeah. if if you want to see wild you look at how people used to write sci-fi back in the day they would just they would just take crazy ideas and throw them together and yeah the the other <laughs> issue is that that's also the era of dr demento and, yes. and all of those people who were going out there and saying, what if we just we did weird stuff that we thought was entertaining to us? Right. And there is and it a turns out there's a lot of people who find it entertaining as well. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. exactly. Exactly. So, so we're going to skip again. Uh, now I'm, now I'm an adult. I'm, now I'm, a, now I'm, a, Let's now use, I am a adult. <laughs> now, now I'm a, now I'm adult, ma. 
Yeah. Yeah, now I'm an adult, man. I, you know, I can do what I want, okay? <laughs> so don't, don't try to tell me, don't tell me I can't do this. You know, I'll show you. I can make a living doing something. I'm going to be than, something someday. Uh, yeah, and, and, not, and so what did I do? I became a, I'm trying not to say the F word. I became a mailman. You, you can, <laughs> well, you, well, first but that's, of all. I'm, I'm trying to get my myself out of the habit of every time I mention the, postal service i don't say the f in postal service <laughs> you can say they're a good group of folks just not for me i've and met, i i fought I've that met. so much that people were like this is a great place you should stay here this is how can you throw away your whole future i said god i want this as my future it's kind of like that no. <laughs> it's kind of like that scene in the producers you know where he's like i don't want to be an accountant you're a certified public asshole <laughs> Well, you know, that was that was the thing. Again, I was getting that kind of feedback from the older guys, the guys who had been in the service and had just wanted to get out of the service and live a nice, quiet life in a nice, quiet town and do a nice, quiet job. And that's and look forward to their retirement. That was going to be their life. They had to get through this whole working existence for 30 years before they could start their life. And I that. And they're like, why you you don't want to leave here? This is a great income. And I was like, it, and I kept thinking, this is a golden cage. I hate it here. This is not for me. I'm glad it's for you, but it's not for me. I, I and I was miserable, absolutely miserable. And I made everyone around me, my in my personal life, miserable uh, because of it. And it's one of the things that broke up stuff. Anyway, so 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 one of my buddies at the postal service shared the exact same feelings that I did. Only he was what they call a rural carrier. So he was more of like a freelancer almost. Um, you know, they, they, he, they'd use their own car. They'd do all their own stuff. They'd go out and drive into the boondocks of the town. And, yeah. and so that, so that, but he, he was actually a professional writer. He used to write for the magazine called Fangoria. I remember. Yes, I I believe I still have a few old copies of that. Yeah, well, yeah. he used to write for that magazine because he did a lot of journalism stuff. He's interviewed. He interviewed like Stephen King and Ray Bradbury and you know Fuck Dean yeah. Koontz and all these people. I mean, he th that was his that was his passion. But he couldn't make quite enough money to raise his family on it, so he yeah, kept working at yeah. the post office in misery. And one day, I had made a cassette, a cassette recording. And I did a, a a parody of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, but set it with all Postal Act people in it. And it was a huge hit. They played it at the post office over the PA. Everybody thought it was fantastic. They thought it was hilarious. And my buddy said, man, he said, that's what you should be doing for a living. I said, I can't do that for a living. And he goes, why not? And I was like, because... Uh, because <laughs> that's Cause. you know it, it's, and he's it's like look man these are his words exactly and it stuck with me because no one else had been as blunt about it before he said look if you can do that but you don't try to make a living doing it he's shaming me now he's like if you're doing that and you're not trying to make a buck off it he says you are basically at home masturbating he says is that what you want to think of your life as you spent your life masturbating <laughs> I'm like, like, what? What? I'm just what? sitting there going, what? What, what does like, that mean? <laughs> he, goes, he goes, he goes, you can do this. He said, you don't have to sit in this in this hellhole 
and do this. He says, you can do it. Move, he said. Move to New York. I'm like, I'm not freaking moving to New York. So I went home and he calls me on the phone. He goes, hey, I didn't have any computers or anything yet. He says, hey, he says, I just ordered you a book from Amazon. It's called How to Make Money Doing Voiceovers. He says, I want you to take that book and pay attention to what it says. He says, I bet you can do this. So that started it. That book and, and his prodding, his shaming me into it. You know, of course, he was doing it in, as a friend, but he was just like, you can't do this. You hate it here. You're miserable. You're wasting your talents here. So I'm like, okay. So it took a few years to get the ball rolling, but just that glimmer of hope that it was a possibility. And as, of course, the computer computers came back in everybody was getting a computer internet oh my god you know we can all communicate within each other with each other across the world this is fantastic then then my world opened up and i started i started calling local businesses hey do you need a radio commercial i produce them you know i'm making bullshit up because i produce radio commercials i can make you some commercials for your show we call that a hustle now the the hustle yeah. mentality but but again I mean, people around me are like, you're doing this out of, out of the blue? I'm like, well, yeah, because it wasn't like me. I suddenly found like this whole other side of my personality that I never knew, even knew existed myself. It's like I was going to be outgoing and I was not going to let things bother me too much. I, I found myself driving into Boston. And if you've been to Boston, driving into Boston is a nightmare because it's not a grid. I've, it's, I've heard it's of it a as series a of circular. It's a concentric been, series of circles and, and horrible I, decisions. I, I heard it described <laughs> as like doing a Death Star trench run where you're like, all right, cover me. I'm going. <laughs> yeah. Cause you know, you, you know, you think you're going in the right direction and you find out no. And you find out, oh, you can only turn right. Every place you because <laughs> there's so many one-way streets. And you ask oh, yeah. somebody, how do I get to Fairmont Avenue? And they're like, I don't know. Yeah, they've lived <laughs> there their whole life, and they're yeah. like, good luck. Or if they knew, they couldn't tell you the names of the streets to yeah, get go there. down, go down go four down and turn right on uh, the donuts. And then, go to uh, Jim's garage. At Jim's yeah. garage, you're going to take a left. When you get to the left, you're going to hit a rotary. When you get in the rotary, take the third exit off the rotary. If you take the second one, you're going to end up back in Rhode Island. You don't want to do that. So take the third exit. Then you have to take four more. And I'm like, oh, my God. You know, and it used to terrify me to get lost. And so now that I'm driving into Boston, people are like, aren't you scared you're going to get lost? I'm like, who cares if I get lost? I, I mean, I, I can go outside my house and get lost. I said, well, you know. Yeah. But you know, it's, so, what, it's, you're it's, just, what you're describing is not that different from like, um, there's, all right, are you familiar with the dying earth subgenre of science fiction? Well, uh, it sounds yeah. sort of like dystopian. It is, it is a bit. It's, it's, well, give me it's, an example. Uh, God, uh, easy. Uh, or Gene, de describe to me what. Dying Gene Wolf, uh, Gene Wolf okay. is, yep, is, yep. is is a is a great example of okay. um, the dying. He's an author of, mm -hmm. of yes, the era. I know who he and, is. Yeah. yeah, and well, what what I'm the the subject of the dying or genre is is kind of is kind of on the side, but like Gene Wolf was the writer editor of Plant Engineering, which is an industrial plant like literature review. 
while he was writing his other novels. Okay. Um, Greenwood, who wrote like half of Faerun, worked in a library. A lot of people are doing what you had done in fantasy and sci-fi. Yes. They had they had a thing that they were trying to get out of while they right. were using that to try to create something They were making a living yeah. while pursuing a dream. And that's what I did for many, many years. I started doing voice professional voiceover stuff in 1995. But I was not able to become full-time until I had lost so much in 2008 and said, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to become full-time voice actor and see if I can do it. Because if I don't try, then I'll always wonder if I could, if I could do I it. Agree. So I, no, I, basically I agree. No, I agree with that. Dropped, I dropped the whole postal service. I quit outright. So I get no pension. I get no retirement. And I, you know, I knew that was coming, but I was like, I can't. I can't go through the rest of my life wondering if I could make it as a voice actor. I have to jump and hope I land on my feet. Well, I landed on my knees, but it's okay. still, it, I it, got it, on the barge. <laughs> well, in, um, for those of you curious, Gene Wolfe wrote the Book of the New Sun series, and uh, the, which is part of his group called The Solar Cycle, which kind of defines the Dinger genre. But it, again, a lot of people have done what you said, where you make a living. Yes. And then you start dreaming, saying, what if, and you right. have to know, you have right. to do these things. But until my friend gave me that talking to, I just basically said, well, here are my dreams in this box. Whatever they might be, because I really had no idea. I, I just knew I wanted to do something. I said, but I, I, I can't do it. So I'm just going to put that box on the shelf until I retire. That was my thinking, you know. And then my friend gave me that speech, and I was like, fuck it. <laughs> and my wife at the time was very supportive. She said, look, you're miserable at the post office. I'll do whatever I can do to help you. And she was willing to move to New York City, but I wasn't. You know, I was like, nah, that's too much for me. Because well, that was imagine, the only option at the time. No, I get you. It's and what's weird is you you made it through an era of game voices where a lot of studios were like, "We will hire the same three people to do ninety percent of everything." Oh, well, they did. Yeah, they did. I mean, look, I I did like eighteen voices in Mech Warrior Four Mercenaries, something like that. And that's that's the thing is you've survived that era where they were where they were very limited and yes, squeezed and, and as that, much as I they was could. Called out on that a lot, believe me. You know, oh, I've yeah. had I've had fans they're like, man, that voice you did for you know the uh, the Steiners that was horrible. I'm like, I agree <laughs> <laughs> because I've listened to that stuff and go, well, yeah, but of course it was like. Not I'm sure like today. I'm sure you had like all of five seconds to prepare. You know, exactly. they, were, they, exactly were, they were probably like, man. they were like, okay, we're rolling, we're yeah. rolling, and be German. And you're like, oh, what? I come in to do Duncan Fisher, which I, you know, we had that established. I'm killing bugs here. We had that established. I thought you were applauding us. <laughs> <laughs> no, my, I'm suddenly getting surrounded by gnats. Um, it happens this time yeah, of year. Yeah, the Lord yeah. of the Flies is approaching. Anyway, um, so I was. I would be I would be scheduled to come into the de the developers' offices, and they had a little room in there where their audio engineer guy would record me doing Duncan Fisher, and they'd have like you know pages and pages and pages of stuff we'd have to get through. And then when we were done, they'd look at the clock and say, "Oh well, we got you know a half hour left," and they'd scan through their 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 spreadsheets and go, "We need a voice for this guy. It's it's during the some kind of trial." 
Um, I wish it was. It was a German. It was a German one, and and it was like, you know, welcome to Haus Steiner. We are going to, do, you know, because it was like, okay, can you do a German accent? I'm like, I, I you know, you mean? <laughs> I say something like, you mean like from Hogan's Heroes? Yeah, I know who nothing. Is this, who is this man? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's. Hogan. Well, like, no, 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 no. Make him. Can you can you do Arnold Schwarzenegger? I'm like, I, I've never tried. <laughs> so I did that. And that's that's why he sounds the way he does, because there was no prep. It's like, here, we need to do this voice. And they do that every session after that. It's like, oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Every time load- I come in, they go, we need another voice for this guy. He's like a he's like a tower uh broadcaster or or you know like uh he's he's part of a convoy and he's like okay okay what was it what was the guy's name in mercenaries for and which one because you were like your character the player character oh um Um, specter specter Specter, that's right yeah all right specter here we are we're going to be coming down the pack here and we're going to do that and they just want that kind of thing just just can you do that? Sure. And I'd read the lines and I okay great now we move on to the next character we're going to make him sound like this you know in the, way, the way I see it, the way I really see it is it's like people don't understand the pressures on voice actors, especially like back in the day, because they back, would just it was l- back in the day. Now it's a lot more prep. Well, yeah. Nowadays, they're like, OK, because I was reading some of the stuff for uh, Baldur's Gate and they said, oh, yeah, they had voice coaches come in to say this is what Gith Yankee sounds like. And here's all the experts and here's, mm-hmm. you know, all the prep time and here's your character's background and backstory. And back in the day, they loaded your tasks into like a machine gun belt and we're just yeah. like, all right, here you got to do 30 voices in 30 minutes. Right. Here we and go. Then, you know. Yeah. Back in the day, companies would just hire a guy. It's if you go look at even um, even big, big, big production games, like big production games that had big budgets for back then, they Mm. would hire four voice actors to do 90 voices each. They're like, because voiceover comes in last in general, unlike Baldur's Gate which had a lot of thought and, and prep put into it. Oh, yeah. Most games are not like that. Most no. games, even today, because they don't have the budgets that Baldur's Gate 3 had, you know? Well, it's, 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 it's a changing... It's a changing time. Like, times change in production, where, like, I... When... when if, if you say that, like, back in the day, if I was doing what I do for Text Talks Battletech, I would have to go... And do all the voices myself or people in my production. I would have to put the microphone under them and be like, right. hey, can you be this guy? Your sister or, or yeah, you know, yeah. your mom or whatever. Exactly. Whoever's, whoever's around. Whoever's present. You know, that's what and, they did for a lot yeah. of those. Big, oh, yeah. A lot of the arcade games, especially. You can see that on the internet. You know, people, the worst the worst voice acting in games ever. And it's like a compilation of stuff. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. It's like, yeah, it is. It is the worst. It well, it's because is. they literally go around the office and they're like, yes. I need... Someone yes. who can do a scary voice. And sure. some guy will raise his hand. They'll be like, oh, yeah, Franken receiving who moves the paper into the office. He can be scary sometimes. They just put yeah. the microphone under well, him. Well, that's it. I mean, I did a game called Majesty before I ever did. Uh, ah, Majesty. Mike loves Majesty. Well, you tell Mike, because I'm, I'm a lot of that myself. <laughs> I know. Yeah, but there was people that basically they're the, they're the developers and they did the voices. And they had one guy. His name was Seth. I think it was Seth. Not Seth MacFarlane, but Seth. I was going to anyway. say, like, wow, you no, know no. Seth MacFarlane. No, no, I don't know. Anyway, this guy's Seth. There we go. That That's what we were talking about before, kids. Exactly. Anyway, it, his name was <laughs> Seth, and he ended up doing several of the female characters in the game. 
Yeah. Because he, he, he had this naturally higher voice and he could make it go even higher. And he'd be like, oh, dear, I can't do that. And you know, he'd be talking like he's from Monty Python or something. Yeah. But, and that but was, they were again, like, that's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's even then, if you look back in the day, that's that's how Monty Python did stuff. They were like, do we need to bring in female actors? And they're like, no. Yeah. And, they eventually and, got yeah. one, Carol yeah. Cleveland. But in general, they would just. Nah. Arr, 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 Exa- arr. That was but that's how production was for the longest time is it's like we're paying you five guys all the money. You will right. do all of the work. Well, and, also. Of course, in the late 60s, when it was being made, you know, uh, male performers doing drag was considered unbelievably hilarious, especially in England. You know, that was like hilarity ensues. Oh, what's, put, a, put a dress what, on him. What's, oh, weird, my God. what's weird is an old Eng- uh, God, I think it was as late as like the 80s in England. They if if there was a music video or anything and the mm-hmm. dudes had their shirt off, they would put like a bar across the nipples. And, and so. <laughs> You would really, yeah. You would find all sorts of weird stuff, and people don't know that if you watch older media, you'll find where people are incensed by stuff. But England was also the country that like had to have pirate radio come in. You you would have people anchor ships offshore to broadcast rock and roll into into the into the British Isles because yeah. But then it was, then yeah. things really changed because I remember Monty Python actually had nudity in it and stuff like that. But it all oh, depended yeah. on what time of day they showed it. But I remember as a kid, I'd be like, I'm gonna stay up and watch Monty Python. Okay, I'm going to bed. Thanks, ma. And I'd be like, Yeah, show some titties. <laughs> that's that's how stuff was back then. Is yeah, especially, I, I really, especially in the early seventies and stuff. You know? Well, that was that era of let's see what happens when it comes to media. People tried a lot of weird stuff because when you listen to stuff like Pink Floyd you go man how spacey and trippy was that and I'm like you have no idea Pink Floyd was tame compared to a lot of the stuff that was done through experimental music and art sure there was a lot of that weird stuff you know drugs drugs are a hell of a thing right (laughs) people people make fun of uh uh, what's her name? Yoko Ono doing her thing on the Beatles white album, which was like revolution number nine or something like that. Yeah. Like, number nine, number nine, number nine. And that, that was that, no, that, no weirder than anything else at that period. Exactly. Avant-garde was very much in existence. It's just that so much of it has been buried. You don't know what's even out there. Well, that's There's why a lot I always, of weird stuff out there. That's why I always tell people, like, don't just consume one thing. Like, if you like, if you, it was said best by Mark Miller, um, who created Traveler, uh, the, the role-playing game. He said that to write Traveler, read all the books, become an avaricious reader, become a consumer of all the things. When it comes down to music, I tell people, listen to everything. Listen mm-hmm. to everything. Shit you never th- put shit on shuffle. Let Spotify grab random shit and throw it to you and yeah, see what you you'll like. Be surprised. Yeah, you'll never you would you will be mind blown by music that was not popular twenty years ago. A great example is like um God, I think his name was Keel, uh, the guy who did the Trollolo song that the internet found. The internet found that a long time after the fall of the Soviet Union and was yes. like, what a crazy song. And that became synonymous with something else or God never going to give you up by Rick Astley. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Forgotten, forgotten for decades forgotten, and then yes. brought right now back. Now he's making commercials. Yeah. With that, with that meme in mind, you know why not? Like, and why not? Some right. someone said, "Hey, man, you know, you you could get a lot more people in your concert if you get back out there in the public's eye, and it, if yeah, this like, is the way to do it." 
it's Do it's it. one of those wild things where you find um, a lot of people uh, are experiencing what I call the Melville effect, where and and thankfully they're having it in their own lifetime. But when Melville wrote Moby Dick, oh okay, it, yeah, it did not it did not publish that many, and it was not well read, and it was not well received, and no one cared about it. The only reason we know of the great American novel, or what I and a few others consider the great American novel is because a used bookseller was walking through a small bookstore and happened upon a copy of it, one of these very limited copies. And I was like, oh, I'll buy that. And it was like in the 1920s. And then read it and goes, holy shit, what an amazing fucking book about the nature of the human soul and struggle. Mm-hmm. And you're like, what, what an amazing novel. There are so many people in the age of the internet now because of how quickly and rapidly things are created. I mean, YouTube, I last time I read, and I'm sure this is way different now, there's something like 75,000 videos uploaded every hour. When you, when you come to that realization, it is very easy to see things lost, discarded, and thrown away. Absolutely. And, but what's interesting is the internet has provided a Melville effect where people are rediscovered 5, 10, 15 years later after creating something. Right. And so, and so and do, you, yeah. do you think it's mostly through done because of uh, like a random search? Somebody's doing something, and then and, and like a video will pop up. And well, sure, like, what's that? And, well, it's one of those things where you never know what's relevant until it's relevant. Like um, a really good example of it is in car commercials. You'll see people playing a lot of car commercials have like seventies and eighties rock in them. <laughs> and 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 a lot of people now will not go out and listen to Pete Seeger, you know. Right, right, But right. if Chevy cuts a commercial, all of a sudden that has a following. Sure. And I'm not trying to say Pete Seeger's not a great singer or what have you, but you will find people suddenly brought back into relevance. Sure. That have, Especially that, people who yeah. own Subarus. Well, yeah. <laughs> Because that's the last Pete Seeger song I remember being used for but, a commercial. But yeah, but, yeah no, I get yeah. what you're saying. Yeah. It's it's one of those things where you'll find that people are propelled. And so there's a time and a place for every art. You may not live to see it. It's it's one of those things of, you know, Mozart was one guy. He had a lot of contemporaries. Those people who've seen Amadeus will know of one of them, which is Salieri. Right. But there but were thousands. There were yeah. thousands and thousands and thousands of people of that era that made good music, very right. good music, wrote whole operas that are just... But they're forgotten now. Exactly. And in an era where things are being constantly created, constantly made, and constantly spread out there, it's harder and harder and harder to be seen for what you need. And so my question is, is for people out there who are trying to become voice actors, who are aspirational to voice actors. Yes. We've talked about the purpose of finding a living, but also dreaming. Yes. What advice would you give? Um, them? Well, I get approached by a lot of people all the time who are just beginning and they ask to be on my roster or whatever. And uh, I've hired a number of them. Yes. Yes. And um, basically I can, I can just tell you what a lot of people who give good advice would 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 tell would tell you and it's that if you're just starting out the thing you need to to, to realize is that voice acting is not what it was in the 40s when you saw Bugs Bunny cartoons yeah voice acting nowadays is acting so you have to have a really good foundation as being an actor you have to be able to act you have to be able to emote you have to be able to separate your personal reality 
and become another character, even if it doesn't sound any different. That's really important. Um, yes, it's great if you can do impressions and stuff, but that's what you're doing is impressions. In general, 99% of the time, you will not be hired because you can do an impression. Um, and I see so many voice actors trying to promote themselves by the impressions they do. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's not going to achieve what you're trying to do, which is to become able to be a full-time voice actor. Yes, there's a few people out there that can do it, but it's really rare. And in general, unless you are amazing at mimicry, um, that's not what you should be pursuing. What you need to pursue is find out if you have any innate talents as an actor. You may or you may not, but it's something that you can learn. Some people don't think you can, you can teach acting if a person doesn't have some talent. I am of the school of thought that is like, yes, you can learn to act, but you have to learn to let your imagination out. A lot of people have that so suppressed and so buried in their their daily life that they they've forgotten how to use their imagination. We all have it as a kid. Most of no, us yeah, do. and I I think you're right on that. I think yeah. you've you've hit the nail on the head. Is like as a kid, you know, is you're sitting there with your limited limited world as a yes. kid because you have a very limited world. Your toy box, your few toys that you're ha you have, you, yeah. these become your everything, and so right. you'll you'll have to give them voices. You have to give them purpose. You have to find right. a reason why the hero wins or the hero. But loses. a lot of people don't get that now because of because of just everything changes as we've said. Yeah, so many people have from their early early youth, they have the entertainment put in their hands so they don't have to imagine as much well true true i find that people turn their brain off it's very easy yes it's it's like cruise control for the brain but that's what you need to learn unlearn yes if you want to be an actor a good actor you have to learn how to how to let your mind sort of wander off into a different space and let let get your imagination muscle working again because it's you're not going to get far without that well, it's it's one of those things that um, we inside the Black Pants Legion did. Uh, we we have a Macbeth. We all sat around and did a community theater of Macbeth. <laughs> wow! And, and and here's the thing: most our rule was. Um, so, tell me about why you had me do Macbeth. I said you you said you did community stuff. So why why did you focus on doing Macbeth? Because I never did Shakespeare until I knew you. Well, the the reason the reason I like Shakespeare is because a lot of people see Shakespeare as this highbrow hoity-toity shit. Shakespeare was not highbrow. He was shitting on the upper classes. He was like, what if all the kings were bastards? And then yes. just started, like, one of his great characters, Sir John Falstaff, is a big drunk. He's a big, fat drunk who just makes these insanely, staggeringly drunk pronouncements and bad one speeches. One of Orson Welles' greatest roles, yes. by the yes. way. Yes, And that's the thing, is that people will read Shakespeare, and they're forced to read it. And they're like... Oh, Hark, the Thane of Cawdor. And they, they read this stuff, and I go, all right, if you can take these flat words from 600 years ago and turn them into something that entertains your friends, if you can get out of your own you know preconceptions and act 
and make this big and play with your friends in the same space who have never read this shit before, but are throwing their everything into it because they have no preconceptions. They've not gone and watched any of the old Savoy or anything like that. They have no idea what these characters are supposed to be. One of the best moments we had in this little Shakespeare thing is, um, I, I'm not sure if it was Banquo. One of our, one of the guards is from Texas and he used his native accent. So in the middle of all these people hamming it up and doing these Shakespearean English, he's like, well, I don't think we ought to do that. And we're just like <laughs> dying laughing. And we're like, good. That's what should be. If you can entertain yourself and you can yes. entertain your friends with just flat words on a page and lift those words into something that you think back on and remember, that's acting. You don't have to go to class for that. You just have exactly. to practice it. You just have to exactly. practice it constantly. That's, that's, that's the point I was going to make. When I had to do those Shakespeare parts, again, I had never, never studied Shakespeare. Maybe, maybe you know, one half of a semester, we'd read a part of a Shakespeare thing in, in high school or something that, that I barely remember. But I, I, I didn't start even trying to understand Shakespeare until after I had got, gotten out of high school and it was just like they'd show something on PBS and I'd sit there and make myself watch it just to understand, try to understand. Um, it wasn't until I went to college and had a little bit more things explained to me and I was like, oh, okay. It was like lights started turning on. I was like, oh, okay. I'm starting to get this now. But when you started assigning me Shakespeare, Macbeth stuff, I was like, man, I don't get this shit at all. I literally was reading it and I had seen Macbeth, but none of it, rem I remembered none of it. And I was like, I just, I don't know. I said, I want to do a really good job because this is really important to me. It, that's how much uh, working with you means. So I was, I, I went out and I was trying to find videos of people performing Macbeth so that I would get a more of a feeling of it. Cause that's the only thing I could do. I've always sort of been a mimic of things. I can learn by watching others and doing it myself. And usually when I do that, it turns lights on. But what happened was at the same exact time that you gave me something from Macbeth to do, I got, because I'm a member of SAG and AFTRA and stuff, they always send you videos to vote on. Yeah. When it comes time for the Oscar. And they sent me Denzel Washington in Macbeth. Cool. And I was like, okay, this guy's an Oscar winning actor. So this must be good. <laughs> well, and, and so I watched it and yeah. I, I found those portions of it where that was what you were assigning me. And I was like, oh, 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 now I get it. Watching someone who's a good actor perform a piece made it go oh and and so i tried my absolute best and you said it was good so i was like okay i was but i'm my worst critic so it's like well, I, I think i think that's another thing we can talk to is that like there's times where i'll sit there and i'll spend 80 drafts trying to find the words to describe inhumanity you know, mm -hmm. I will be yes. sitting there trying to describe something in a way because, yeah, it's a it's a silly robot setting of stompy robots and people who are like, I'm the greatest and I'm here to kill you. And, you know, everyone's yes. very wild west about it. Yes. But 
then I go back and I read how, you know, Shakespeare put things. I go back and I read how these timeless uh, reminders of, of duty and consequence and you find like amazing acts and amazing phrases. Uh, Lady Macbeth, uh, Act Five, Scene One. Yet, who would have thought the old man to have such blood in him? Yeah, stuff like that is you just sit there and you're like, "Fuck, that's really that's a lot of gravitas." Shit. All right, I need to rewrite this. And so you you go back through and reexamine things. And I think mm-hmm. that's kind of the other part of acting anything out is to yes. make sure that. You're using not only language, but emotive language in a way that is fitting and true to the character at point. Oh, yeah. The best yeah. the best written stuff is is an actor's dream because we get asked to do a lot of crap, you know, especially sure, for commercials sure. and things like well, yeah, that. Yeah, because it, it's like, oh, this is the best thing I've ever put in my mouth. Please don't yeah. don't take that out of context, you know. <laughs> yeah, speak, speak, you know, we want a voice actor who can make this conversational. Hi, Jim. Have you tried these new Kotex panty liners? Well, no, yeah. I wouldn't try those, Bob, because I'm not a woman. <laughs> and and that's, that's the thing is the way the way I look at it is it's why that when I first started text talks, the character is me, the person talking yes. about Battletech. Yes. As they go on, I started writing them from the perspective of someone who lives in that universe. And mm-hmm. that has been the most difficult thing to write. I bet. Because I have to remove omnipotence. I have to replace omnipotence with what the person would know by that date from what is commonly known. And that, that's going to be difficult. And, and then I have to put in realistic flaws and biases. And that is, that is one thing where people go, this is a biased look at something. And I'm like, correct. Go read any history book. Yeah, it's biased. And, <laughs> and you will find, as Norm MacDonald said, man, all these guys in history, the, the winners – are the good guys? What are the odds? What are the <laughs> yes, odds of that? Exactly. What, exactly. what, are, what are the odds? All, all the winners are always the good guys. That's exactly. really weird. Um, I mean, I mean, I, I grew up reading a whole bunch. It was a series of books um, that my father had gotten because he was in World War II, and it was this, the pictorial history of the Second World War, and it was like seven or eight volumes, and every page was nothing but a black and white photo with uh descriptions and stuff at the bottom. And I still remember that stuff, the way it was written. Now that I think about it, that that whole collection of books is long gone. But now that I think about it, is that it was extremely biased. Of course, it was. You know, well, every every history like, book, every history book has a point of view. Yes, and it's. I realize every historian has a point of view, and they try to be as balanced as possible. But humans are fallible. Every yeah. human has their feelings on something and, and what they grew up with versus what they're discovering. And they may find either an acceptance or a rejection of a point of view that they grew up with. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing that I've tried to put in the writing to make it more authentic. Um, That plus, uh, I I think that's why your videos are so interesting and they've, and they've proven time and time again, you're making me blush. Come on. Don't worry about it. But it's true. It's like they're very well written. And I 
Look, I am not the biggest Battletech fan in the world. I played it once with a Catalyst game person. I was saw, telling I me saw, what to do. Yeah, yeah, I saw where it was like, they have the frozen photo of you like screaming out in glee. Yeah, yeah as you because DFA Because I did a guy. DFA. Yeah, a DFA, good. DFA. Always and they DFA. Were like, and they, and they, the Catalyst person was like, I can't believe you pulled that off. I said, I can't either. Yeah. <laughs> it was all these people taking pictures because I had a freaking audience. How many of you have an audience while you're playing? Battletech. I, well, I did by myself. Yeah. Which was just a little embarrassing. I had to focus on what I was doing. Well, that's and not pay attention to the is, catalyst. Is a weird is an autistic crowd. weirdo. I understand what you're saying. Is yeah. it's it's a weird thing where and it's like if I'm sitting here in a booth recording, well, I don't have a booth, but if I did, if I was sitting here in a booth recording, my world becomes very small and I yes. find it very manageable because it's yes. me. The words in front of me yep. and what I'm trying to do with these flat, flat words, these two-dimensional yes. objects, and I'm trying to lift these objects up and make something out of them. But you make sense of Battletech for me. That that was the point I was trying to get oh. across, is that I, as, as much as I've been exposed to it and, and people think I am really invested in it, I'm not because I can't afford to be. Well, you you're know, also everything a busy guy. Well, I'm a busy guy. You're a busy guy. But again... It's not that I dislike it at all. I think it's really interesting, and I love the fact that I get to do Duncan Fisher, and you know, people still want to have me be part of the world. That's fantastic, but I don't understand so much of it still because there's a lot of it there. Well, there's but, a, but it's your a big universe. Videos make it make sense to me when I watch them. I'm the recent one you did about the Hunchback. It's like, I, you know, this is just another mech. To me, it was nothing to me, but the, you put so much excellent writing in it and you explain things and you just do such a good job. Well, I that appreciate I am, it, George. I am one of your biggest fans. George, Although I don't, I don't, I don't contribute to your, you know, I usually just take money from you, but yeah, you know what well, I'm saying. It, it's, I, it's, you're like, I'm a fan, but business is business. I'm a fan, but you know, I got to make, I, I got to make eat, a living. You know, I do. I, I do. Yeah. I, don't, I guess I don't have that postal job anymore. So it's well, like, the way, I have to be a much more mercenary about it. The way I look at it is it's like, I am, I said from the beginning, I don't want anyone to ever think that I think of myself as like center or centric to explaining this universe because I'm, but it, God, I've said this for years. I'm a voice in the choir, right? Sure. Absolutely. And, and the we fan base, the fan base is what made Battletech come back. It's what made this renaissance happen because- That in, and a few excellent business decisions. Yes. Yeah. But, yeah. but, <laughs> but like, up, like the 80s. <laughs> you, well, yeah. You end up with a, a fan base that makes this manifest. It is the voice of the fan base that is the loudest part of the choir. I just have a few interesting parts in the song. Yeah. But there's a lot of, other people out there making fantastic content for Battletech. Uh, Sven Vanderplank is doing this whole wonderful series that's Ken Burnsian in scale mm -hmm. um, on on the history of the Intersphere, the Reunification War. He's now in the Succession Wars. And I've encouraged him. I was like, Sven, keep going. Keep going. Do not give up. Stick to your principles. Work hard. You got this. Um, there's, there's also Big Red 40 Tech 
I know him. Is, yeah, yeah. He's, he has been doing constant, constant churning. He's like the PBS of Battletech. Every day he turns on his stream and he's sitting there well, just talking like, about uh, things. More, I don't know if he'd call him the PBS of Battletech. It makes me think of more than when they used to have like community college courses on TV. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> yeah, that's what it was. Could you not, imagine? It's not a dig at him, but, but that's what well, that this reminds me of is that it's, it's, it's more academic. Well, sure, uh, and and, and, it, you, and there's also there's you know there's mechanical frog, there's uh, Battlebound, yeah. there's all these people who are bringing yeah. you know Battlebound's great. He yeah. Battlebound goes to local stores. Oh, I I know of him. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Davion. That, that fucker tried to send me on vacation and found out one I gave most of it away, and two I sent I gave it to my my team because yep. I hate people thinking of me as like a charity case. But then again, I'd work myself to death, and no one would know. Um, the way, the way I see this is like, I'm just one element of all Mm -hmm. of this. And I want anyone who's out there starting to realize that if you go into this creative sphere with a mindset of, I don't have to be the best. I don't have to be number one. I don't have to be constantly making uh, stuff relevant to one specific project, but I need to be part of a collective whole. I need to know everybody in there. I need to work with them. I need to incorporate their You've got to do it because you're enjoying it as well. Exactly. If, if if you're approaching this as I'm going to make a shit ton of money, that ain't going to happen. Most you can, likely, it's not. Well, no, it's it's like uh, you've got to do it because you love it. Yes. If you don't love it, then because I I mean, dude, I'll be completely honest with you. Right now, I have two hundred and fifty dollars in my checkbook. Do you want some money? <laughs> I have an idea well, for well, I again, have an idea again, for a skit. <laughs> voice acting. Voice acting is so unpredictable and sporadic feast and, and famine yeah, exactly feast and, famine. and right now it's a famine but of course this week coming i'm supposed to be paid by four different clients well that's great hopefully i can make it to, <laughs> make it to friday um but again it's one of those things people th- people always you talk about being embarrassed when i'm complimenting you dude yeah. i have people always saying i'm a legend okay you are a I'll, legend well, well wait wait they say i'm a legend and i'm incredibly successful you read down this long list of credits that i have and that isn't even half of them i know not, everything's not out there and it's easy to see and that's again it's i know it's you were in that short film it. i know you were in that short film about call of cthulhu i forgot to put that in there because yeah, I, I was in yeah, that yep, yeah yeah yep. it's you as yourself I got off a train yeah, you, you were like guy who gets off train and you look <laughs> ominous. And I was like, ominous man. Yeah, no, I, I thought that was great. That was such a fun experience, man. That was that was so great. Those guys, those guys at HP Lovecraft, the uh, historical society, they know what they're doing. I'll tell you. Anyway, um, so so again, it's one of those things that, you know, the, the Internet make, make, gives you the opportunity to present yourself to the public the way you want to be seen. But here I am telling you, no, here's the reality. <laughs> okay. You know, I'm the only, I'm the only uh, person in the house right now who's got income and I'm waiting for that income. It's coming. It's like a promissory note. I get every time I, every time I do a voice job, <laughs> it's like, it's coming, but you're going to, you're going to whittle down your entire savings until we, until it shows up. And that's the way it is every time. So I'm always trying to find a new gig. You know, that's what voice actors do. That's, that's, that's 90% of what voice actors have to do is they have to go out and find gigs and, and get themselves known, you know? So it's like, you can have an agent. I've got, three, four agents 
you know, but that doesn't get you the job. It gives you an opportunity to audition for a job, but it's not the same as getting the job, you know, it's, it's no, tough. and I, it's why I tell people in the internet age, do something cause you fucking love it. Mm-hmm. Do something cause you fucking love it. Well, because- that's it. I fucking love voice acting. I never thought it was something I could even do, but I, I it's the only real talent I have. It turns out, <laughs> I just wish I had discovered it in my twenties as opposed to my forties. But you but know, that's, well, think about it this way, and this is something that I learned: is um, Rodney Dangerfield. Rod Rodney Dangerfield did not find success until his fifties. I believe it. He had to go out there as a comedian and try it at several stages of his life and bomb out and fail, bomb out and fail, bomb out and fail. Mm -hmm. And had to go back to being an insurance salesman and a lot of other stuff. I got to tell you. Yeah. Yeah. And then finally, after (laughs) not getting respect for most of his life, he goes out there and pours his heart out and starts talking about how shit his life is and makes everyone laugh because they sympathize with that. Sure. They they hear it and they go, oh, man, you know, I know what that's like. I know what that's like. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, my wife, you know, oh, 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 she, oh. She, she's the worst, you know. <laughs> I, I, yeah, it just it, it's always his wife or his kids, Dr. Boombots. Yeah, Dr. He, Vinny Boombots. Yeah, Dr. he Vinny just Boombots, yeah. Hey. And then he got to be in movies. I mean, yeah. you know, and had fun. Hat. You're gonna bowl a soup with that hat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that's but that's what's funny is life has to beat the shit out of you because that that often helps. It helps because it's like experience. If you, yeah, exactly. You have to have life experience. If you just go out there, you know, you get out of school or whatever, and you're like, I'm going to be a voice actor. Well, maybe you will. Maybe. That would be great. But well, if, you, and- if you fall on your face enough times, then you start getting a lot more life experience to draw from. I when, agree. When acting and- comes up. I think that's part of it is that if you want to know how to play a character who's miserable if you want to know how to play a character that's had great joy or adventure, if you know want to know what it's like when you step to the plate and it's your turn at bat and everything rests on your shoulders and that stress. You want to know what it's like yeah. to be drunk off your ass. Yeah, yeah. that's what yeah. you got to do. You got to get yeah. out there and get drunk off your ass. <laughs> well, but what I'm saying is that it's like I know a lot of people out there will say one face to the Internet and another for your friends. And, sure. I, dis- and I disagree with that because I think you have to be genuine. You have well, to that's, be- that's how I, I, I try to approach it as well. And I get it. I totally yeah. get it why you would want to do that. But that doesn't work for me. One thing, well, because I, I don't like to keep track of all my lies. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like um, there's that quote by Abraham Lincoln where he says, if I had two Never faces, would I wear this one? Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And okay. so that it's, makes sense. It's in, I, I find that quote is really apt on the modern internet where people say yes. that, you know, you have to have the parasocial face where you're, you know, being exactly what people want. And it's almost like this cult leader idea where it's like, yeah. if they're lonely, you can be their parents or their surrogate father. If sure. they're, you know, if they're horny, you're that girlfriend they can't get or whatever. And mm-hmm. you, you use that to kind of farm people. And I've found that if you stand on your principles and you go like, look, I ain't perfect. I've made my mistakes. I've been a fuck up most of my life, but and you know that's what? exactly yeah. what I do. Yeah, yeah. I, but it, I totally yeah. own my mistakes, whatever they are, and I've made plenty. And that's the way you got to be. If you try to come across as like an infallible, oh god, like I've I've told people like every week on the Patreon, I tell people like, look, 
I, I fucked this up. I fucked that up. I'm sick and I'm working while sick. I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't have done that. I'm suffering mm-hmm. and str- you be honest and open about your struggles. Like, just say like, look, here's the reason why for X. Here's the reason why for what. Here's the mistakes we made. Here's what we're learning. Here's yeah. where we're having trouble. Here's where we're fighting. And you remind people that, hey, we all fight and struggle. We so all for, have our own yeah. fight and battle. Yeah. yeah we all have our struggles. Oh, Everybody and, does. Yeah. And if you're honest and open about that shit, all the fucking demons you have to fight, you're a lot better for it. It's putting on that fake face and going, I'm perfect and everyone mm-hmm. needs to love me and I'm successful. People see through that because we grew up in an era of the Internet. Uh, the younger folks have grown up in an era of the Internet where everyone is the same face. And everyone yeah. is that face of success, that face of sure. unparalleled, you know, wisdom. And it's yeah. like, right, but that's the face card. And underneath that yeah. is a whole house of cards that can tumble over at any moment. <laughs> yes, for sure. Yeah. Yes, for sure. Hey, um, was there any subjects that we didn't touch on? Because we're coming up to almost two hours. And I, I know. I, it's not, easy. Not that I mind. It's easy to it really talk to you. It really went by fast. Well, Well, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, I try to be easy to talk to. I was well, extremely anxious before we started this today. I just, it was one I of those things. <laughs> no, it wasn't that. I just, I, I just, sometimes I get these weird anxieties that just climb on and onto me and go, well, and I'm like, get the fuck off. Anxieties. You know, it's like they're on my shoulders. Or something. Anxieties are conspiracies about yourself. That's what but I've I knew learned. as soon as we started to be gone, it would go poof and disappear. Well, that's, it, that's, it's always that anticipation and that's well, always been me is the way the way i see the world me. is is we live in an uncertain time we live in an mm-hmm. uncertain time a lot god the last 20 years i mean good god the last two years the two years of covid where everyone was inside yep. that yep. feels like a hundred years everyone who yeah. Would, yeah everyone who went through that are like before covid i was and then 50 yeah. things changed you know right. they lost their yeah. job they lost their wife exactly. they lost loved ones exactly. they, they exactly. changed their oh lifestyle God, they so changed much. their habits they changed their daily day to day and i i'm embracing that i'm realizing that you know it's it's kind of weird that i'm the battle tech guy yeah, but well, it is what it is but it's, you know covid did so much damage to so many people in oh, in, yeah. in their lives but for me it actually improved my career because suddenly studios had to switch over to remote only uh recordings and i had been sort of championing that idea for years in fact someone pointed out to me that i was one of the early adopters of that and i I never thought about it i'm a pioneer (laughs) yes how you doing? I'm a pioneer. Look at me. I'm remote. Woohoo! It's because I'm afraid of cities. <laughs> <laughs> I remember true. when the internet had angel fire. Oh my God! And that weird noise when you'd fire up the little modem. <laughs> Bring back the dancing baby in hamsterdance.com. Oh, yep. What was that? What was beep a deep a deep a do no, no. Deep What's that? Badger, 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 badger. Oh yeah, badger, that was albinoblacksheep.com. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and that was I done just, by Mr. Weeble. I just Weeble. remember the first Norwal, Norwal. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was that was that was, was Mr. Weeble. Uh, look at my horse. My horse is amazing. Like stuff like that. That guy could just pop that stuff out. That was bizarre. Pre YouTube internet was a wild era of just madness. <laughs> it's, it's true. It's true. And now we have subscriptions to YouTube. Oh, God. (laughs) Well, there's subscri- There's sub- I mean, like, as far and as grim and as dark 
as 1980s cyberpunk stuff tried to predict the future. They never predicted like BMW having a subscription for heated seats. Like that was nope. that was that was way beyond. They would be like, "Whoa, that's because, too dark." <laughs> because someone back then would have been like, "Are you fucking stupid?" Yeah, like no one's <laughs> no. gonna pay to have a warm ass. Unlike the, unlike the meme where they suddenly thrust the guy out the window. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. Why don't we just do this? <laughs> well, that's, but that's the thing is like I want people out there to understand that like you and I, I think we're of much the same philosophy when it comes down to the future. The future changes. You have to change yes. to face the world. Yes. The world changes. And if you stick still and plant your feet, the world is going to go 50 miles down that road. Yeah. And you're stuck Absolutely. there. And yeah, you'll, it's, or you'll be flattened. Exactly. By the next by the next thing coming. Oh that yeah. You, that you're not facing because you're still looking in the same direction. Well, and this this is the way I see it is like uh I know a lot of people said that they aged during COVID. And if not just physically, they mean that, you know, watching the world go through all these rapid changes because mm -hmm. suddenly everyone's online and right. thus everything evolves a thousand times faster. At the speed of light across fiber yeah. optic, everyone suddenly becomes these 50,000 ideas yep. and, and everything breaks down and is reinvented again. I kept thinking of the movie, The Andromeda Strain. Oh, yeah. Because of the way the thing would, would multiply and it was just like this intense intensity where everything just kept getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And how do we contain this? You're not going to contain this. You know, it's like, oh. I find that thought is like that. Modern thought is like that. It's very evolutionary where you'll mm -hmm. find somebody just comes up with a meme or an idea and then it burns out in a week because it's gone well, around like the world. Said, it's constant, yeah. con constant. I, so many people will say you, you have to just constantly create content, put out content, content, content. I mean, I hear that from a I disagree. lot of people. I disagree. I, I disagree as well. But I mean, it depends on what your goals in life are. My well, sure. goals in life are to pay my bills. That's well, sure. it. That's sure. my, I mean, literally text. That's, that's my main goal in life. Because it's Stay the alive? one thing. Stay alive? What a lame goal. One, it's the one thing that I have the Survive? most trouble doing. Survive? <laughs> Who wants to do that when you can make a funny joke on the internet? Well, yeah. <laughs> well the way, the way I, the reason I disagree I gotta learn how to it. dance so I can get on TikTok. That's, that's, oh, that's my, God. that's my real goal now. To yeah, get on TikTok. Start just, flossing. Flossing with describe, George Ledoux. Just describe my, my intense moves that you're seeing, but nobody else can. George dances like an angel. <laughs> A very drunk angel. So <laughs> the piano has been drinking. <laughs> Not me. The, but the way I see it, the way I see it with content creation is there's two ways to go. There's mm -hmm. if you go out there and you photocopy your soul and you try to make as many quick copies as possible. Mm. It's like trying to be that McDonald's hamburger. Sure, right. you, there's there's a lot of that, but you're also going to compete with all the other McDonald's who've been doing this for 10, 15, 20 years now on the internet. What is the chance you're going to be seen doing that? Instead, if you go out there and make the best fucking hamburger you can, even if it almost kills you every time you do it, if you go out there and try to evolve and build and make the next one 10 times better, 10 times better, 10 times better. That's the problem. Yeah, I don't do that. Well, I'm I'm crazy. You do that. I'm crazy. You do that. People I, tell I, me I'm, I'm crazy. Like, yeah. Well, they're kind of on the target there. Oh, well, yeah, I know. <laughs>
I have I have people I have people on my but Patreon. But because you're passionate, you're passionate about it, and that's that's I another want, thing you well, have to have. You can't be doing it just because he's like, ah, oh, let's do this today. <laughs> well, I want I want to be the person who, at the end of their life, doesn't look back and go, I coulda, like you said. Right. You exactly. you want you want to look back and say, I swung for the fences till my shoulders yep. fell out of sockets. Right. I want to be that I person. I lost who, a baseball bat a few times. You know exactly. It's like, like <laughs> oh shit. I'm going to, and that's the idea is if you're not doing what you want with the Mm -hmm. passion you have, the next time you reach for it, it will not be there. That passion will melt away in an instant. And that passion is what was missing from the executives at Blockbuster Video. (laughs) (laughs) No, what was missing was common sense. And Kinko's. That was the other one. Well, the Kinko's. <laughs> I remember Blockbuster when they said um, it's fifteen dollars it when it's fifteen dollars to rent a video game, and I said, "You guys are not gonna last." I send that to the manager at that Blockbuster. <laughs> I said, "You guys are not gonna last," because that was the dawn of the internet, where it was right. like, "Well, you can go get a movie in the mail." Remember when Netflix used to yeah, mail they you just movies? That. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my sister was the first adopter oh. of that, and yeah. I was like so jealous. You're getting movies They're in the mail them to you, and you can How send can them back be? whenever you want. Yeah. Well, she'd be like, "Well, you know, you could buy a DVD player." I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> I remember. I remember the first one I bought. I it was five hundred dollars. Oh. And, and and when I got it, when I got it, I was like, there's no way this is going to be fucking worth it. And the only reason I bought that DVD player was because they were doing a re-release of a film that was DVD only with extra stuff in it. I think it was probably Star Trek, the motion picture. Ah. And so I went out and bought that. I set it down and I like nearly wept because the fidelity and everything was so good. And I've been used to VHS copies of stuff. Yes, exactly. I used to be at, go to like conventions, you know, as a, as a, person going to the convention and buy like bootlegs of of movies that i always wanted to see because you know i like old horror movies and stuff like that and you couldn't get them back then half of this stuff i mean i'd, I'd buy stuff from this company called something weird video or or sinister cinema that was another one and they'd have like basically copied copies on vhs of like old mexican horror movies or old italian horror God, movies. yeah degalio uh, yeah degalio yeah yeah yeah, yeah, stuff. Just, yeah, yeah, yeah all yeah, that God, kind of stuff yeah. i know what you're talking and, about yeah and that's that's the only place you could get them you couldn't see them anywhere they didn't have youtube or anything like that so it's like if you didn't go and get these films and these guys would be selling them for five bucks a pop on a, on a video cassette and and you'd be like oh my god i've been looking for this movie you know the bamboo saucer and people are like what the fuck is that yeah that's, they're like what's wrong with you. <laughs> That's the first time I ever met and heard of Rudy Ray Moore. Yes. I don't think I ever One told my, you that story. I, I explained to you why I was putting yes. this in, and I said, I have this hunchback walking, doing the Petey Wheat Straw walk with a pimp cane. And you were like, <laughs> I love it. I get it. You understood what I was yes. getting at. Yes. Yeah. God yeah, bless well, Rudy. That was the very first time I ever even heard of him, though. And it, and after I met him, and he impressed me so much just with his personality. I'm like, I got to find out who this fucking guy is. And then I was like, oh, this is great. This guy is a hoot, man. I love this stuff. He's one of my film heroes. because yeah, he, I know him and Roger Corman. And, oh, yeah. It's, well, it's because, like, Roger Corman's always finished his film. He, they, they, they're not all great. 
He'll tell right. you that. He'll tell you that. Oh, absolutely. Not, yeah, he's he's yeah. definitely the, the business end of the filmmaking business because he's like, yeah, we just made these movies to make a dollar. Yeah. He's, <laughs> he's, and he's like Mr. Rogers. He's as polite and calm as can be. And he's like. He was, yeah. Yeah. Awesome I made this. Guy. I made this whole I, uh, movie for like eight bucks in one afternoon. Yeah, basically. He's yeah. like, well, we still have Boris Karloff on contract for another two days. What do we do? Let's make a whole movie with him and Jack Nicholson and call it The Terror. Well, and that's, <laughs> and that's, they did but because that's, they could do it. That's the genius of filmmaking, though, using what you got and making yes. something of it. The, yes. And it's the reason why I love Rudy Ray Moore is he made films with his friends. For mm -hmm. his core audience, he did not give a shit what big Hollywood thought. Right. And they shot him down all the time. They're saying, you're, you're not making what people want. And he's like, I know what people want because I entertain my friends. And I bet there's that same group of people in every city in America. And he was right. Yes. And, and so he made it with his friends. They did their very best. They did nonsense. They were like, every movie needs Kung Fu. Every movie needs yes, explosions. Exactly. And again, you know? it's, it's not going to be mainstream. But if you are... If your goal is to make movies that are going to make money, they're definitely going to make money. But if, if, you're, if your goal is to entertain your friends, well, that, that's the goal. That's, that's what you shoot for. You that's know, what I've told people is yes. like, do what you love. Because the moment you do something because you feel you have to, the moment mm -hmm. you do something where you're like, I'm not enjoying this, right. it shows. People will oh, go, absolutely. you look like a miserable, the people will go, you look like a miserable fuck. You're a miserable right. fucking person and you yeah. will be, and you yeah. will have punched your own ticket in that. And there's so many movies like that from the eighties that I, you Oh know, God. I, yeah. Cause they were just doing it to copy the next, the last thing that yep. was a success. Oh yeah. You know, hundreds of slasher films, hundreds of, uh, Star Wars ripoffs, hundreds of, um, Oh, like post-apocalyptic films. So many of those. Sword and sorcery things. All those oh, yeah. things from the 80s, man. I saw so many of those things in the theaters. And now I watch them now. <laughs> man, it's this crap. These people don't look like they're enjoying themselves at all. You know? But well, it's that's, like... That's the way it is. Is you can let yourself get stuck in that machinery and have it pull you along like taffy. Or you can make what you want. And mm -hmm. I find that the instant you engage with what you want, you found your path. It's not it's not so much work anymore. I mean, oh, it is yeah. work. You'll end up working 60, 80 hour weeks doing sure, crazy but it's shit. Because but. You're, you're, it's what you want to do. And I've done that with a few of my own videos that nobody watches. And I don't care because I had so much fun making them with my friends, other voice actors and stuff, that it, does, it doesn't matter that, that they don't get seen. Well, I, that shit I don't sets care. you free. That shit sets you free because you can say, man, I had a bad fucking year, but I released that and i got that done yeah exactly yeah. and that that's a lot to me when you when you know because i have aspirations to be a better writer and all kinds of stuff like that but that's just not that's not where my talents lie and i know that but it doesn't stop me from trying you know i still enjoy it and i still enjoy having my friends read the jibber jabber that i write you know that's and it's fine great. though is exactly like, it's fine with there's a few much... people out there that actually like it so well like, and exactly play for them and like that's, that's what I do. I do it for myself first. You, and I like, just happen to go like, oh, I made this. If you want to see it, here it is. You know, that's that's my attitude towards it. It's like, I don't care if it's getting 15,000 views in a single day. I don't I don't care. I, it's just not my goal because I'm not. That's not what I make my living from. Right. I do that to, to enjoy it. Well, it. it's it's like something my grandfather said. Uh, he survived the Great Depression, World War II, Korean War, Vietnam. Yep. His best advice was do a goddamn good job 
for 10 or 15 people do not mm-hmm. do a shit job for a million. Yes. And exactly. and I was and I was like I couldn't figure that out at the time because I was like fucking eight when he said yeah. that. <laughs> Where did he say that? Yeah, but now as an adult, now as an adult who's I guess in the entertainment industry, I go, you're right. You need to work for a core audience of people who help yes. you become a better creator rather than trying to be the best for the biggest, the wider audience because right. you'll just end up spreading yourself so thin you don't know who you are anymore. Isn't it funny to think of yourself as part of the entertainment industry? I try not to. Um, <laughs> I, 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 well, it's weird because I do as well. I try yeah. to tell people I'm in the gaming industry, even though that's more peripheral than saying I'm in the I'm in the entertainment industry. Because it's, it's like so weird, my friend though. says it. He, he, his thing, the guy that gave me the inspiration. Um, he he used to tell me it's like look he says you and I were in the entertainment industry because he was a writer for Fangoria and did, you know he let out lots of books and stuff he says we're in the entertainment industry we're not on the field playing but we're the janitors in the stadium we're not just in the stands so he says we have we have full access to whatever we need to get to but he says you have to want to go there so if your goal is to get on the field well you have to Get, start walking towards the field. He said, don't, yeah. don't, don't just clean the restrooms. No, you know, I that, he had all these weird analogies. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's one of those things where I, I want to remind people as, as we are ending the nearing the end, the very end of the podcast, if don't compare yourself to the success of others, the no. road of others, the paths and decisions of others, Instead, compare yourself to yesterday's version of you because you are the only person, as I said, by quoting Henley's Invictus for that trailer we cut for the hunchback, I said, Mm -hmm. you are the master of your soul. You're the captain of your soul. You are the only person who knows what's good for you. That's it. You're the only person who knows fundamentally what will nourish your being that allows you to succeed. Listen to that. You have to, as scary as that voice is. Yeah, that you voice have to says, listen yeah. to that. And I know a lot of people, myself included, who have done that in the past not listened to it. It's like, I know this is what I should do, but I don't want to. It's too scary. <laughs> Life is full of scary moments. And if you mm-hmm. don't if you don't listen to that voice that tells you to better yourself, take care of yourself, work harder, take care, move forward, aim and have ambition, that mm. childlike voice of saying one day you can do great things if you apply yourself, that's going to be a lot of scary moments out there. Yep. But you're the only person who can do it. No one's going to do it for you. You're, you're, yeah, that's absolutely right. All right, George, any last parting wisdom, the wit and wisdom of George Ledoux, dancing man among other acting skills? (laughs) I don't really have much else except um, if you ever find yourself, my friends, out there and tech contacts you and says, hey, would you like to be part of this? You say yes, whatever it is, because we're going to rob a bank, George. You down? uh, If it's in payday, maybe. <laughs> uh, but uh, no, it's it's getting to know you and being part of your world, for lack of a better word, at the at the moment, has been one of the better decisions I've made in my life. And so that's my parting wisdom, friends. I don't have any other great arcing uh, thoughts. It's just that um, if you find someone that you connect with, stay connected with them. That's important. All right. And where can people find you, George? What What is your next big project? That's what we'll end on. 
Um, well, my, my current big project that I can actually talk about is uh, I've been working for the uh, Crytek team that is creating Hunt Showdown, that game, and that's where I've been focusing a lot of my energy uh, energies on. And um, yeah, I've, I'm on still on Twitter, for lack of a better place. I'm on other ones too, Instagram, Facebook. No, not Facebook so much, but Instagram. Uh, and that was that other one, Blue Sky, Blue Sky. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, I know Twitter's uh, sort of becoming the garbage pail of of the internet for people, but it's still where I do most of my announcements. If I'm looking for actors and I don't want to spend the time going through my personal roster, I'll put out a casting call on Twitter, and that could be your opportunity to work with me, George Ledoux. He's <laughs> smiling like a crazy person. Just. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm just. I, you I'm, need to work with me. <laughs> oh my god! Thank you for showing up, George. I appreciate it. Absolutely, absolutely. I'll do it again anytime. I'll do it again. <laughs> I'll do it again. Just dare me. Dare me. <laughs> <laughs>